everybody, and welcome back to the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm your host, Riley Blanton, here to introduce you to our Attack of the Clones commentary. It's not a normal episode this week. Uh, in fact, it's that time of year. It's summertime, lots of travels and busyness. In fact, getting ready to go into the 4th of July week. So uh, for this week, of, this is a very special presentation, a remaster and rebroadcast of our original Attack of the Clones commentary, originally recorded in 2012. So uh, this has gone way back to the early days of the Star Wars Report podcast, and it's always been a little bit of a gem that sat in the feed. We released it as a video edition that you could download in your podcast feed way back as kind of an experiment. But I realized as a result of that, and as a result of how much the podcast has grown in like the last, well, like six years, um, you probably haven't gotten a chance to hear this, or even if you have, it's been a long time. So I just went going through and I was cleaning up the audio, balancing it a little bit uh, with a much more modern and capable software that we actually use now. So uh, I just, without further ado, will uh, introduce the, the podcast, the commentary. It's going to be the full uh, full film. You can even sync up the film, listen to me in a second, uh, or at least me from 2012, and I'll give you the instructions on how to sync up and watch along if you so choose to do so. Uh, and like I say, Mark, uh, Bruce, uh, even Scott, unavailable this week. <laughs> so instead of just not doing an episode this week, uh, we want to hit that weekly release and have something in the co- in the feed for you guys um, as content for you guys this uh, this week. So appreciate your patience. We will be back with a regular episode next week. And until next time, may the force be with you. And I'll turn it over to Riley yeah, from six years ago. <laughs> can sync up at home or just watch the video version as I'm recording here. I'm super glad that you uh, decided to tune in. I'm going to introduce our panel in just a moment, but we're going to get this film started and we're going to talk over it. We're going to listen to it. We're going to watch it. We're going to smell it. Well, not quite. <laughs> that, that would be hard. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to go ahead and click play on a count of three, two, one. And all of our special guests, our numerous special guests, are going to sync up right with us. We're all in the same place for the listeners at home. Um, what I want you to do is get to uh, Title One, Chapter One. It's right at the beginning. It's going to be a black screen. It's about to fade into the 20th Century Fox logo. And you can sync up with audio because I'm going to crank up that old volume and you're going to hear that. So, uh, everybody, is everybody ready? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're saying on one. We're going on on zero. So we're going to go three, two, one, zero. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> three, two, one, zero. And it's loading. Zero. There it is. 20th Century Fox. So you guys, it sounded so futuristic when we came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for you guys in the Skype call, I'm going to let you listen. We're seeing the Lucasfilm logo right now. You guys can hear the volume. And now we're going to introduce our panel. Uh, t- doing our co- special live commentary of Star Wars Attack of the Clones, we have Mr. Jason Hunt. From the Wampus Lair Podcast, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Love this film, so I'm excited. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. And I just remembered on the video version to actually cut to the film while we're watching it so that we can actually see what on earth we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, there we go. The film is streaming. We've got uh, Jason introduced, but we have uh, just a couple people on. And uh, we'll continue that round with Mr. Aaron Goins. Hello. 
Second time's the charm, man. Second time's the charm. <laughs> <laughs> Writer for the Star Wars Report, and we're so glad to have you on, Aaron. And also, we have Mark Curleman. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Me and Whistler are all ready to go. Hey, hey, all right. Mr. Nathan Butler's also joining us. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's going very well. And Teresa Delgado of Fangirl Next Door. We were just, uh, you'll forgive me, Teresa, we were talking to Fangirl Blog. Uh, uh, Trisha, just a moment to go in, in a pre-interview. But there we go, fangirlnextdoor.com. Teresa, welcoming Teresa Delgado. So glad you joined us. That was interesting. Thank you. I know. <laughs> Crazy. I, I, I know, yeah. We were talking some Star Wars weekends, but, uh, but hey, hey, that's not what we're talking about. Talking about Attack of the Clones here. Rounding out this huge panel, this massive undertaking, is Mr. Pete Morrison. Hello, all. Rounded, massive. What am I, a hut? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it to come out like that at all. I, I apologize. I truly apologize. So we're talking some Attack of the Clones. We're synced up. We got into the first scene. Hey, we're just going to play this fast and loose, guys, and talk about the film, uh, our thoughts on it overall. And um, I want to kick it off with now that... It, I'm, not, I'm not sure you introduced the two of us. Did I? Oh, I can no. do that. Riley and Bethany! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woo! All right. I have to watch out. Somebody's going to take my job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, uh, I'm Riley, and also co-hosting is Bethany, my sister. Hey, glad to be back. Yes, not, not to forget. I love that opening shot. Okay, there we go. Let's talk about the movie. Hello. Man. I like that opening shot. You know that's the one opening shot that, uh, that pans up instead of panning down. For the longest time, I always was like, okay. If it's an even number, it's going to be an episode that picks us up from the back of a ship. If it's an odd number, it's the front of a ship. <laughs> and then this one, you know, it's okay. It's still the back of a ship, but it's going up, not down. And then came episode three and completely screwed it all up, coming straight down onto the ship. I'm not sure where they were going with that, but I thought it was a theme. It's apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you noticed that because I honestly had never thought I, about I that. <laughs> I think, I mean, I like this. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Mr. Riley and go straight to... The music. I love the opening shot, but I love the theme music that's in that particular scene. It's a really impressive work. And of course, now we're seeing Ben Burt kind of come into play a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the explosion. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, she dies. Milady. Don't worry. She'll wind up being in some kind of weird afterlife with crabs that move ships and, and Johnny Depp wearing eyeliner or something. <laughs> oh, goodness. You can count me out of that one. Except Johnny Depp is cool. <laughs> no. And this we're is talking the part of the movie. actually. Go ahead, Pete. I would say this is the part of the movie that we wonder what happened to Captain Panaka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just yes. he kind of just disappeared off the face of the earth. So, is there any expanded universe reference to Captain Panaka? Like, what happened to him? Not really. I seem to recall Panaka essentially going off into obscurity. That's something I have to kind of rack my brain on. I, I was thinking more in terms of Typho here that we get, of course, in the scene or in the previous scene now, because the EU has now given us new information thanks to stuff like Coruscant Knights that say that Typho, Gregor Typho, who actually has a first name, he, uh, he was essentially secretly in love with Padme. And, you know, that puts a, a different twist on the way you can, you know, what you can sort of project into what he'd be thinking in a lot of the scenes in this movie, whether it's with Anakin around and seeing her affection towards him here, trying to get her as far away from harm's way as possible. It puts a nice, interesting new little spin on it. Yet again, the EU taking a minor background character and giving them some more depth beyond what's on the screen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it, Typho is is a fascinating character, but you know, Padaka, I that I'm right there with you, Aaron. It was a where did he go? And I, I think it was just an actor contractor issue that that just came up, and he boom couldn't do it anymore. Hmm. Yeah. There's a Nick Fury. Oh my bad, Sam Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, one thing I like to Padme. Yes. All fancy like. Look at that posture. Uh, shoulders back. That's a politician if I ever saw one. Look at that wig! <laughs> I wish our politicians wore wigs like that. Okay, so here's my question. Why is it in this scene that her hair looks like it's fluffy when she doesn't have fluffy hair? Yeah, it's like curly almost. <laughs> yeah, but you see how it looks like it's like afroed out like fluffy? My my question is if that if that headdress thing is metal that must be awfully heavy. Yeah, I don't. Well, think she was almost cool. blown up. That can frizz your hair out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I do a quick apology because my computer isn't responding, so I've got the video shot stuck on me. I'm not being vain. I promise. Oh, okay. It'll just take a few minutes. Okay, and here's another thing. I don't remember ever seeing those two Twi'leks in the back, the bright blue and the bright green one. Until like right now. They, they've always been there. I know. They I just were. don't remember seeing them before. <laughs> I thought they were at it. Now they did what? do that in episode one, where they had a scene before it was on DVD that had some extras in the back that were essentially just quick cameos, and they replaced them later on. I think it was with Twi'lek. So I think it was an oh. Ornfritas floating booth, if I remember right. But that, oh, okay. you know, it's yeah. there's a parallel there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they just wanted to put more sexy girls on screen. <laughs> and if it's a Twi'lek, it's right. got to be sexy. You can't have a Twi'lek that's not sexy unless it's, I guess, Orn Free Ta. Um, oh, and then we yeah. just saw the no, no, no. Uh, statue all, all where Palpatine's the, uh... lightsaber was hiding, too. Yeah. Uh, Orn Free Ta yeah. makes up for all of the other Twi'leks. Like, mm. he, just, he just got all of the bad genes. <laughs> and now it's time for Awkward Teenager. Yeah. This, 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 this is this a sequence they're referring back to the events in the uh, Jedi Quest series, if I remember right, that nest full of Gundarks, uh, one of those yeah. few things that they actually built upon, just like that border mm-hmm. dispute on Ancyon that became the approaching storm, where Jedi apparently dance for entertainment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we've all seen it at Star Wars Weekend, so... <laughs> this is one uh, of Don't it's... talk about Star Wars Weekends, I'm sad. <laughs> hey, I just we like I say we were just interviewing uh, Nancy from Tashi Station Radio and Trisha from Fangirl Blog, and they were both there this weekend, and I am jealous. I I've went the past two years in a row, and I can't go this year because oh. I'm getting married later on. Doggone it! Two weeks later, dang it! Now did did <laughs> mm. and Jar Jar comes back. Okay, when you guys first saw this movie, I've got to ask. I've got to ask. I'm going to throw this to Nathan um, just because of his, his, his dry sense of humor. Did you, oh, when you were first watching this movie, did you think that you would see the, as, as much Jar Jar? Did you have an, an idea that he was going to be kind of minimized in, the, in terms of the comedic role? I think the, uh, the assumption was he was going to be there, but the question was how was he going to be there i think that most fans were kind of expecting that lucas learned his lesson from the lambasting that jar jar got from episode one but i I gotta say i like the way that they handled jar jar here he's not that overblown heck for humor the most overblown stuff comes from c3po and the oh this is such a drag and all that kind of stuff yeah (laughs) Uh, i they, they play him as the fool but he, he plays that classic mythological and, and tragedic role of it's the fool who winds up making that decision that's thought of as 
in the best interest of all that winds up essentially creating the crisis. And, you know, if he wasn't quite as bumbling in episode one, it wouldn't be as tragic when he's the one to hand all the power to Palpatine here, you know? So I actually like him in this one. He, he's in there just enough. And at least it's Ahmed Best doing the voice, not whoever it was that mangled the voice so bad a few times in the Clone Wars. B.J. Hughes. B.J. Hughes. That'd be the guy. Exactly. But oh. now, now, Jason, I know you're a fan of Jar Jar. Did you like him in this movie? I did, but uh, when, it, when it, came, it came out, how old was I? I was, what, 13 or something when this came out, and I wanted more of him because I loved him in the first one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've gone into detail as to why I like Jar Jar in some of my the earlier or anybody with that but uh, at first I was disappointed but going back over and watching it, it again it, it, it makes perfect sense to have him exactly the way he is in this film um, but I was really sad when he had like half of a line in episode 3 and that was it um, really I agree I like Jar Jar well I'm, I'm with you guys there's a bunch of Jar Jar lovers here <laughs> yes yes now, I, we do I, exist. I, I do well, have a quick the question. Thing me, go ahead, Bethany. I was, I was going to start with uh, Pete and ask a question. How, when do you think Anakin kind of turned into this rather impatient, sort of, well, whiny Anakin that we see here who says, oh, well, we're going to do this no matter what the Jedi say, and Obi-Wan has to come in and rebuke him. But Pete, when do you think that trend really started in Anakin. When do you think we can first see that? Because you see that he's a little impatient in The Phantom Menace, but he in The Phantom Menace, he's far more willing to listen to Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Uh, do you think that it, as he just grew older, um, he just grew more impatient and teenager-y? Well, I, I, I think as he grew older it happened, but um, I think a lot of it has to do with how he was raised. You've got a guy that's the chosen one, but the Jedi are sort of telling him one thing on one side, and treating him a different way on the other side. They're trying to keep him as the chosen one because they want him to be the one to bring balance to the Force, but they're worried about how powerful he is. So it's there, he's getting a mixed message. And as he feels like they're trying to hold him back, I don't think there's any way that he cannot want more power as he develops and feel like he's being sort of pushed and pulled in two different directions. And not only that, but that you got Palpatine doing his dirty work on the other side. So, And that's really, I think, the, the unused storyline that not, doesn't get a lot of play. The fact that we have like Palpatine basically mentoring uh, Anakin in politics and philosophy. All on the side, that you see all, it's all off screen, but it's alluded to. And, and you can see that in the Clone Wars as well. Now, Aaron, I know you've read a good number of Expanded Universe books. Have you read anything that focuses on Anakin between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? And what do you think of his character during those times? I don't know. I don't think there's actually that much stuff, at least stuff that I've read, that's, that covers that time period for Anakin. Yeah, I was uh, just Na- kind of wondering Nathan about might know that. better than I do, but... I can't got, think of a lot. I don't know why I keep dreaming about. You got the Jedi Quest books by Jude Watson. You've got Rogue Planet that was sort of a prequel to the New Jedi Order stuff. And it's kind of one of those things. It's almost she she takes the time to essentially create parallels between Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship. I mean, at one point Obi-Wan left Qui-Gon's uh, was apprenticeship, I guess the best way to put it. He left. He said, you know, this battle on this planet, Melita Dan, is so important to me, and these are young people like me that screw the Jedi, I'm staying behind. And he winds up essentially discovering that it's a, it's a bad choice. Qui-Gon essentially takes him back. 
I, and, they, and they play into the that almost happening sometimes with Anakin and Obi-Wan where Anakin's willing to push it just a little too far and a little too far and a little too far. It's one of those things that's come up on Republic Forces Radio Network when we've talked about episodes of the Clone Wars where it's kind of like if at those points where he pushed it too far, if somebody had been there to rein him back instead of letting him just do whatever and then bringing it back going up, oh, tisk tisk Anakin, that was unfortunate, but I guess it all worked out in the end. If someone had said, you disobeyed my orders, slap. <laughs> you disobeyed my orders. Go to your room without Jedi dinner. He might have turned out very differently. But I yeah. don't think there's one moment, one story that says this is where he begins basically questioning authority. It's kind of something that's just sort of built into the makeup of all these stories as they're developing. He's a guy who who is told he's one thing, being held back otherwise. And, you know, I mean, it, and he, he had a troubled childhood. Of course, he's going to be yeah. an, an unbalanced individual. If he wasn't unbalanced, then something would be wrong or right, as a case may be. All right, Anakin, give me your focusing crystal right now. The Chancellor doesn't appear to be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am surprised, even during this scene, how... Uh, how much Obi-Wan is willing to take, in a way, from Anakin. You know, he... he it's not really humoring Anakin, but he's... He doesn't crack down on Anakin. He tr he does his best to teach, but um, Gross. sorry guys, yeah. like, the, worms, no, the worms get me, and I just had ew 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 ew. ew. <laughs> yes, she wakes up. With I always love when Obi-Wan jumps through the window. Yeah, I don't know, but I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't want someone to watch me while I slept either, even if I was in danger. <laughs> no, um, but see, like, what gets me is that I could not have something crawling on me. I'd go and take, yeah. like, five showers. Like, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why does that one look like a car? Like, oh. No, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the quintessential hot rod. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And they left their kids. I guess you gotta be a teenage boy to really understand that one. It's like, oh, get the one with the racing stripe! <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Except yeah. I, I have a Y Wing. I, I don't have a race car. Speaking Sad. of which. Okay, where is the X Wing in TIE Fighter at, later in this film during the chase? It's it's when they're I, diving down into the underlayer and you see like almost like a, a big, weird shaped X. And they're supposed to be down to like the bottom right of the. I have yet to find it. I have scoured my TV. <laughs> I, I've never found it either. So. Hmm. So was that Doug that they almost ran into? Was that supposed to be Sebulba? It was. That's a very lavish Sebulba. I don't think so. He had the, like the the Count Dooku night robe Sebulba. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Obi Wan is just awesome to just run and oh, I'm just gonna jump out of the top of a building in Coruscant where it's that far just I mean, look how far he falls and i, I wish i were a jedi it would be like so he's cool. not freaking out at all he's just like this is cool yeah kind <laughs> of fall yep he's still falling he's and... like a flying squirrel <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i like how even though anakin and obi-wan have their contentious moments they still they work really well with each other uh, they may have their disagreements, but it's not going to stop them from working as a team. Well, at this point, they're really still just hinting at it. It's like a minute ago in the scene, he's saying, you know, the Chancellor's a good man, and Obi-Wan doesn't really push it. Yeah. It's kind of like that conversation where you really strongly disagree with somebody, but you know no nothing you say is going to help, so Obi-Wan's just kind of reserved at that point, I think. 
They have See, more the of a thing I like about this scene, though, is Obi-Wan has the classic look of a father who's behind the wheel of his son. I remember terrifying <laughs> my dad in that same way. And that shoulders <laughs> come up, he leans back in the chair. <laughs> yes. He's is probably pounding the, the floor, like, oh, right hitting the brake. That's yeah, exactly. fighter. Somewhere right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah well, so, I saw it. I, I saw it. I saw it. It was in the... It was... Oh, man. It was in the left, the lower left hand. I just huh. saw TIE Fighters. I'm going to have to go back after we're done and yeah, find that, because now it's driving me nuts. <laughs> so here's a thought, though, on the way Anakin is. If you think about, he was told by Qui-Gon that certain things were going to happen, and then Obi-Wan promises Qui-Gon that he's going to train the boy and take care of him. So does anyone think that maybe Obi-Wan has taken on that role more seriously as a father rather than just his, you know, um, his master. And so Absolutely. he's, and so he's gotten more, he's more careful about trying to take care of him. And so he sort of stifles Anakin and doesn't let him grow as much because he's trying to do what he promised Qui-Gon he would do. So kind of more yeah. overprotecting father versus uh, Jedi trainer and master. Yeah. Yeah, I can like see a, that, or maybe like a a stepfather or foster father, because as as it moves between this film and the next, it goes from being much more fatherly to being much more brother like, um, yeah. which is in a sense what sometimes happens with step parents. You come into the child's life once the child is already born, and you have to take on that fatherly role. But if you're cl relatively close in age, you know, compared to what it could be, as the son gets older, they start looking more as you know contemporaries with the father or the stepfather whoever rather than otherwise yeah, yeah. i will Almost point like out an, that this an, speeder that they're flying in belongs to simon grayshade simon grayshade was introduced in i guess the second year or so of if you can believe it the marvel comics star wars series and Whoa. they decided to make the background of that speeder that he just stole to be that it's simon grayshade speeder i always thought that was pretty cool that they were linking back to the marvel stuff yeah nice I that's, did not know that. And that's, that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we have Nathan Butler on the panel. Exactly. <laughs> where you, Nathan, where you store all that information, I have no idea. That's awesome. Well, I'm very small, so it must be, it's, it's, it's all compressed. And it's all I'm just going to jump out of it. <laughs> these scenes, yeah. if they're in Coruscant, <laughs> these, I, these scenes should look pretty cool in 3D if they ever actually make uh, Attack of the Clones in 3D. That. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's when he does that. Like, well, like, I watched like, you do it, Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. You know, I, I think Teresa may be right because Anakin, in a way, it seems so sure of himself. It's as if he's never been placed in... He's so skilled that situations like this don't really challenge him all that much. I mean, he's working. He's hanging on for his life off of that speeder, but... You know, he's just hopping from one end to the next. None of this is really a challenge to him. I, I well, guess if, well, if Obi-Wan's... I saw the prequel Jedi, though. Yeah, and if, if Obi-Wan's kind of protective of him, then Anakin may not have ever been put in a situation that really challenges his philosophy and his way of thinking about life and death, which, as we see towards the end of this movie, really affects him in a negative way. Well, they say that with... Uh, so with education, it, they tell you if you have a gifted student, that you must challenge that student. A lot of the biggest behavioral problems you run into in, uh, in less urban environments in schools and especially in classes where it's like honors or it's a, or it's a class that doesn't have an honors variant. 
so you get honors and essentially regular track students in the same classroom is mm -hmm. if you aren't challenging the higher end students, they will start causing trouble, not because they're bad kids or anything like that, but they get bored. You know, if there's not something to push you and push your skills, you eventually get to the point where you're going to find ways to entertain yourself. And it sort of seems like that's what Anakin does. Like the Jedi have no way to deal with someone of that skill level unless they want to make him a master early and they don't think he's disciplined enough. Yeah. So he's going out of his way to appear less and less disciplined in what he's doing to compensate for that. Well, yeah. see, and I would agree with that. But see, here's the thing, though, is that perhaps... Um, Obi-Wan never really seemed to agree with Qui-Gon that the boy should be trained in the first place. You know, so maybe it's more of that Obi-Wan is scared of what Anakin can truly do. And if he lets him go and lets him be challenged and lets him actually live to his full potential, what that could do to the Jedi Order and what yeah. would happen. Like, what, what is the true power of the Chosen One if he brings on the full power of the force that he does have you also have the resentment angle too because it, I, I when qui-gon says you know uh, uh, well i'll train anakin and obi-wan gets that look on his face like the hell you say you know i'm your padawan <laughs> when they're sitting in the council chamber you sort of see that resentment and you're you're wondering where that's going to go from or go to yeah and uh you, you sort of have the same kind of thing where in their conversations you know you can tell that obi-wan doesn't agree with qui-gon and Anakin is within earshot of at least some of those scenes. You gotta figure yeah. that, I mean, kids are very perceptive. They know when someone is hiding something from them. They know when someone doesn't like them. They not, may not be able to put words to it, but they can sort of get a feel for those types of things just by mannerisms, if nothing else. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Anakin might have some resentment towards the fact that Obi-Wan initially didn't want him, so to speak, whereas Qui-Gon did. Well, right, it, well, it, and it, you make a good point about the kids, because kids, you yeah. know, and I'm a teacher, you know, they, especially the younger ones, they don't know enough, you know, to think in depth the way that an adult would. So they mm -hmm. pick up on things that they don't even realize that they're picking up on and they don't even realize what it is, you know, but they know that it's not right. Yeah. You know, because they're not clouded by, you know, is this a logical thought that I'm thinking or am I being too over emotional or, you know, they don't think that way. Yeah, but it, it seems like one one common thread throughout this discussion about Anakin and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon is there's a lot of emotional baggage there one way or another, whether it's overprotective or a little bit of jealousy left over or a bit of trying too hard to fulfill his promise to Qui-Gon. On both sides, this isn't a normal master and apprentice relationship. And Not in, in a way, well, yeah, no. I mean, look how Obi-Wan is playing Anakin in this scene to, to example that. I mean, he's totally using Anakin as bait to get her to come out and find him. I mean, he, he flushes her out in a sense, totally uses Anakin. Yeah, yeah. I will go home and rethink my life. I, I always love that line. <laughs> and I like the fact that you get these hints, and they do this in the EU too. You get those hints of the darker side to Anakin. Like, you know, yeah. he kills, was it a blood carver, I think is what it's called, and I guess it was Rogue Planet. He's at these moments of going darker, and we see that on the show. You know, he, he stabs through the Mandalorian cinder. What? He was going to blow up the ship. And here, you know, he's got the, he's, he's trying to persuade, you know, tell us, tell us, tell us, and tell us now. And he takes that one step across the line where you would think that that's something that Obi-Wan should be picking up on. And it seems like it's yeah. more like, oh, well, it's okay. That's just frustration. But this is him teetering on that line all the time. Yeah. He does yeah. it in the Clone Wars. They've done it in the Clone Wars several times, kind of following that trend. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a I have a quick question and completely unrelated to this, but what exactly is a death stick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's some illegal. Not so great drug. Cade <laughs> Skywalker's favorite—it's—it's Cade Skywalker's favorite recreational activity. It's—it's um, it's a hallucinogen, basically. Um, oh, okay. Um, oh, you, you, you essentially you take it, and it for a regular person it gives you hallucinogenic effects. Um, you could make the argument that it might open you up a little bit to the force, the way that you know, say, a spice would. But if you're someone who's pardon me, if you're someone who's force sensitive. You have a tendency when using death sticks to sort of, uh, to, to it, 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 I guess it depends. I've seen instances where it sort of amplifies the situation for them and their, their abilities. In other cases, it's like it deadens the voices, like it deadens the voice of the force. So it may be something that's more like uh, it, it's what you make of it once it's in your system. Like if you're a very balanced person and you use a hallucinogen, you may be seeing lollipops and flowers. If you've got a lot of internal demons and you use a hallucinogen, you may be seeing, you know, some kind of monster coming to eat your face off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here he is. The venerable the monster that's going to eat your face off. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of monsters that are going to eat your face off. Wow. Ian McDermott makes this film. I just like to say... Um, there's a lot of there is poor acting in the prequels. It's fairly undisputable, uh, but I'll, uh, that that certainly isn't in the field of Ian McDermott. He does his part so spectacularly well, and uh, every he's he's so measured in the cadence of his dialogue. It's very Shakespearean, and I love it. You are the most gifted judge. They even let him cut his hair after you, Phantom Menace sister. gave him that I horrible, horrible fan of a hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> Even more floating Yoda. Yoda yeah one thing that I've always liked about that scene is you realize just what a master manipulator Palpatine is because you can see what he's doing if you know what's going to happen but Anakin is blind to it yeah there are two bits of dialogue that I've memorized from Star Wars one's the opening crawl to a new hope and the other one is his acceptance speech later in this film <laughs> so I call uh, dibs on quoting the speech at the same time he does. <laughs> I, I might have to join you, Riley. <laughs> I, I really though, like how Yoda has a floating chair. Sorry. I, just I want one. Yeah. Definitely. I would love a floating um, chair, but I would never get out of it. So that might be a problem. <laughs> Wind up being like uh, like on South Park where they're playing World of Warcraft. Um, now, it reminds me a little bit, looking back at this, uh, I mean, 10 years ago, there was still debate going on. I mean, that's that's when I started up Chrono Radio. I mean, I, I, we were talking about the prequels a lot. And there was a lot of people who, who didn't see that we were supposed to already know that Palpatine and Sidious were the same person. You know, really? And they never say it explicitly in episode one. And... They, I mean, even in the Clone Wars cartoon that takes place after this, at least up to episode three, they animated Palpatine and Sidious in very different ways. One's like Mr. Burns gone eviler, uh, not evil, but eviler, and one's, you know, kind of the creepy guy inside the hood. Mm-hmm. Their facial construction isn't even the same. So there were still debates at this point of, okay, yeah, we see him trying to, it seems like he's seducing Anakin, but is he really the Sith Lord that everybody expects him to be? And I'm not sure why that debate even existed. It should have been something that should have been nipped in the bud immediately, but there was a segment of fandom that for years was still asking that question, is he really Sidious? Is it possible that maybe Sidious is a clone of Palpatine? And all these these outlandish theories until oh, yeah. we finally huh. see him reveal himself in episode three. It, it boggles my mind but it, it happened 10 years ago that's weird yeah. 
Hmm. Wow. Side note, it's hard to believe this movie is 10 years old in a good way. It's it, yeah. In terms of special effects, it, it, it holds up really well. I mean, I think The Phantom Menace does as well, but this even more so. And this is probably the way, the kind of the scenes where Anakin kind of gets a little bit creepy. I could think of other less family friendly. Yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of creepy, like, hey, babe, what's going on? And, and at the same time, like, he's like, but I'm going to whine about everything because women love it when you whine. It's sexy, dang it. <laughs> Just Not, for, for the no. record, For the record, as a girl, no. No. I know. I know. Are you kidding, Bethany? I love it. Anakin. <laughs> it's a lie. You know I, was I don't believe to... you. Don't try to cry. Don't make me cry. <laughs> you know, you know By the he way, must have a thing I love the moment. When he walks in the room, he doesn't laugh at her hair. Yeah. Well, yeah. I love that where she says, don't try to grow up too fast. And it's like she's talking to a 12-year-old, and he hates it. So he immediately stands up and takes two steps close and gets within about like, yeah, 16 inches of her face. It's not threatening at all. I think that was more like six. Yeah. The thing that bothers me about about Anakin, if I was if I was Padme, is like he's so like intense and he's yeah. looking at me almost like he wants to eat me. Yeah, he does. Like, he comes out so aggressively. No, what I'm supposed to feel. Thank you. Yeah, you know. He's basically. I mean, He's a, he's a he's a basically the Star Wars equivalent of one of those guys that you know at some point is going to commit rape and you get away from them. It, it, except in Star Wars, it won't happen that way. It's, it's, but that's sort of his mindset. I mean, and every you can see the pain though. You can see his pain because she says like, "Oh, you'll always be the boy I knew on Tatooine," and you can see it. Simply see the dagger go into him and twist. You know, uh, and every time something reminds him that he's not. With her in the way he wants to be, he gets more intense. He gets more angry. Every opportunity, he grabs on that much more tightly. I mean, it, it, until the point where he starts giving that speech that sounds very Shakespearean, and yet a lot of guys are like, man, I don't care what she was wearing in front of that fireplace. I wouldn't have said all that kind of stuff. That ain't <laughs> macho enough. I mean, he's really sort of unburdening himself in a way that he's laying himself out to be crushed later on Later on in the movie. So, yeah. yeah again, so the psychology of Anakin is probably the most... Most underplayed and yet coolest and most interesting parts too. of the prequel trilogy, and yet a lot of times not enough is made of it, except Don't for, worry, I gotta give it to Matthew Stover and the whole, this is what it feels like to be Anakin Skywalker right now in the novelization and the audiobook of the novelization. That was done amazingly well. The dragon in the stomach and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually, as you were talking, there's this when um, Padme's talking and Anakin is behind her before they go and get on this refugee ship. He's looking at her with this look. Yeah, I did. did you see that? Yes, I know. It was it was so creepy. It's it like was this creepy. Yeah. And speaking of creepy people, it's Dexter <laughs> Jetster. Oh, Dexter's not creepy. Dexter's him. awesome. He's yes, he's awesome. Obi Wan. Obi Wan. Hello, Dex. Yes, hello, Dex. <sighs> Take a seat. I'll be right with you. By the way, that sandwich looks delicious. And also, by the way, I would never want to be hugged by one of Dexter's species, which I forgot the name of. No, especially after he pulls up his pants. <laughs> it, it, makes, it makes the fact that Pong Krell can be such an amazing Jedi slash Dark Jedi in the Clone Wars all the more impressive when you see how you know Dexter here moves. I say. You know, how can he move yeah. like that and Pong Krell be like, all over the place? Uh, you, I say <laughs> we, need term, see, we need to see a Jedi with a beer belly. That would be hilarious. No, no, no. That would never happen because Jedi don't drink beer. Uh, exactly. They drink, they drink Jawa, Jawa juice. juice. Jawa, yeah. Jawa <laughs> juice. 
It's just a pot belly. It's not a bear belly. <laughs> like he, why doesn't he? He needs a clean shirt. <laughs> I, that he does. Yes. He's a cook, though. I mean, I mean, he's back there cooking, and you know, even in the galaxy far, far away, you still gotta touch the food as you're making. You still gotta get interactive with it. Otherwise, you know, where's the magic in it? Uh, ask Rachel Ray. Wow, I can't believe I just admitted <laughs> I knew you that. Heard that of right. I mean, that just shows you how greasy a spoon Dexter's Diner is. He looks like a mechanic that just got done working or changing the oil on a car. And yet it still makes Waffle House look horrible. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I never noticed that um, Doug in the back. This yep, the here he comes. There he, there he goes. Yep. Another good thing, though, about Dex's Diner is this also plays into a lot of Jude Watson's books, too. Uh, for Obi-Wan Kenobi especially. Oh, yeah. He's been going to that diner for a very long time. Yeah. With Didiodo and Astriodo and all these returning characters. Yeah, it, it, they really do a good job, or Jude Watson, I said they, I mean, I guess it's Jude Watson except the first two books, I guess it was Dave Wolverton, I think. Um, they do a really good job with those books of trying to connect it. Unfortunately, the stories kind of start getting to a point where they're very circular. They kind of have the same plot lines over and over again, just in different planetary situations. But I got to say, it's, it's, a good, it's a good set of stuff, especially Last of the Jedi when they get past... Revenge, uh, pa yeah, past Revenge of the Sith. It's good stuff. Now, now, who thought Joke. that Jocasta New's little hair pieces sticking out of her head looked suspiciously like murderous daggers or something like that? <laughs> Secretly, no. Those are those are her awesome uh, Jedi chopsticks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> exactly. If you heard of the shell tail, here's my hair tail. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, I was gonna ask someone, but I'm gonna ask you. What do you think of the Jedi Temple archives or the library? Who you are you asking? Me? Aaron. Oh. Of the Jedi Temple archives? Yeah. Like, what, what do you just think of their design? The fact that they have their own set of archives. They're not relying on, like, the massive Coruscant public library system or whatever they would have. I think it makes sense for the Jedi to have their own, their own archives that's separate from everything else. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, and I think I really like the design of the building. It looks really cool with the different statues and I guess mm -hmm. they're busts of, of famous Jedi and things like that. So yeah, it's a it's a really cool building. Yeah. Yeah, the busts. You know, that's the one thing about that scene I love the most because those are the busts of the Lost 20, the Jedi who left the order for higher ideals. And they had an up close scene where Obi-Wan was talking to Jocasta and you saw Dooku there. And that's the thing that always struck me. Dooku left the order on a higher ideal, and they were okay with that. Hence the whole, he's a political idealist, nothing more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So political idealist, not a murderer. Speaking of the <laughs> library scene, you also have Jocasta New there. You know, in the Revenge of the Sith video game, we actually get to see Anakin, you know, at, once he's dubbed Darth Vader before he's more machine than man, we actually get to see him during the Jedi Temple attack kill Jocasta New. But it wound up being essentially... Uh, disappearing from continuity because it was just the video game adaptation of the movie and then later on we find that uh, there are reports after the fact of well she was caught by the Empire and because she was trying to harbor Jedi or Jedi information etc etc she was executed for that so whether that's a play on well here's the public story of what what uh, Anakin did to her or if that just totally wipes that out from the video game is kind of left up in the air. A lot of stuff about the Jedi attack is covered in so many different angles that a lot of the specific details is up in the air. A lot like what's happening with the Clone Wars as a whole right now. Yeah. We just got our big EU shout out there with Ayla Secura walking by. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. I don't Yay, think it's the same Ayla Secura character. as in the Clone Wars, though. It can't be the same character. one as in the Clone Wars because she doesn't have the ghetto booty. 
<laughs> oh goodness. And she doesn't talk French at any point within the show. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, the yelling scene though is another one. I love the line that Yoda has here, lost the planet, Master Obi Wan has. How embarrassing. You know I, <clears throat> I love it. Me too. That's I've one thing I like about the Jedi Temple is how self-sustaining it is. Like even in the Fate of the Jedi series, they may be under siege, but they can still survive and not even survive, but thrive. Yeah. Another, you know this map that we have here. It, it's one of those things where the films gives the EU something to play with. There's uh, one of the younger books. I think it might even be one of Jude Watson's where Anakin does an exercise where he takes one of these star maps and he expands it in, and he in his mind he's doing all this and he knows all the planets of each uh, moon and stuff and he just keeps expanding what he knows in his mind. And it's just a great little play on this. I always love how it just blows up after he sets a little marble down. This scene is kind of sad, too, if you think about it, because it's the same type of group of kids that Anakin comes in and basically slaughters during Revenge of the Sith. So it's kind of, when you look at this scene, it's kind of, it's almost got a little bit of sadness to it. Yeah. yeah. yeah we're and literally- this scene to me, this scene to me is different after reading the Jedi Path and, you know, learning about how they do their teachings and stuff. This scene is totally different once you've read that. How so? Um, just because they describe all the different things that like the little ones do and the classes that they go to and the stuff that they learn. And so you begin to understand that not only like Yoda's not just sitting there at the Jedi temple, he's actually teaching the little ones, you know, and they're actually putting them through everything to get them to the point where they're ready to go out into the world. And I guess as a teacher, I didn't ever really thought that the Jedi Temple was like that, where they actually had them all there and they went to classes, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just thought that that was really cool. And yeah. that if I went to school, I'd want to go to Jedi school. Yeah. <laughs> it, it also helps tie up some of the uh, the continuity issues from the OT when you have uh, Obi-Wan talking to Luke about Yoda, thinking he could be as good a teacher as Yoda. And this is where you see Yoda actually training all of the Jedi, basically, at one time. Yeah. And yeah. now we got Anakin wearing the uh, poncho like Qui-Gon. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I know well, I think Qui-Gon wears it better. It's got to be hot there. I mean, like, yeah. he's wearing too many clothes. Oh, so is she. I mean, you're wearing like a metal casing over your head. So Don't seriously. worry. George Lucas yeah, will she, take... she'll, she'll handle that later, apparently. I was going to say, George Lucas uh, is going to take care of that problem in the later You know, film. here we're meeting, we're meeting Queen Jamilia, and this kind of caused its own controversy with the Clone Wars. Because we had Amidala as Queen, Padme as Queen, and then we have Jamilia seen here, and mm-hmm. then we see Epilana, the little girl from, was it Kite Runner, whatever it was, um, who we see in Episode 3. And the assumption always was that those are the three. It's Amidala, then Jamilia, then Apollana. It sort of fits in with how they were trying to figure out how many years each monarch gets to be the monarch and all that sort of thing because they are elected. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden in Clone Wars, George is like, you know, I, I, I always planned, because he always says it, I always planned for there to be uh, another queen that we can throw in there in the middle of that. And now we've got Queen Neutney during the Clone Wars and the fate of Jamilia and her, her successor, Apollana, and when they actually become the leaders of Naboo have been kind of thrown into flux now because we've now got this mm. other one dropped into the mix here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but following, following George's tradition of not only throwing a new queen in, but also breaking the tradition of ending every single one with a vowel ah sound. 
Yes. <laughs> but that's one thing I found with almost all of the female characters' names in Star Wars is that they all do have a lot of vowels in them or they end in vowels. And I will tell you this. It makes it very hard to find a good Star Wars girl name to use when you want to name your kids. <laughs> well, you're, no, you're not going to... Choo-choo? I can I can explain what I mean because my my future husband's last name ends in an A and it's short. So anything that ends with an A does not sound good that goes with his last name. It's a pain in the butt. I'm just saying. <laughs> Come up with some better names. It, it's got to be different. I've got a longer last name, so we had the opposite of that. It's like, well, does Jana sound good with Herleman? <laughs> well. I don't know. Nothing really sounds good with Herleman. <laughs> you know why they go with the, the A last names, right? Uh, Lucas uh, talked about going to classical sources to grab names and inspiration for names. Classical Latin, the feminine ending of, of any noun, especially names, but any noun, one of the major feminine endings is A, with the, with the plural being the A-E on the end, pronounced which, like I. Which follows. So it, it makes perfect sense if he's going for a lot of classical-sounding names for, for his mythology and his tragedy here, because I kind of think of this as the tragedy and the mythology is the, the classics, that he'd go for something where most of the women's names would end in A. You don't see a lot of guys' names that end in A. I mean, think about Nikita Khrushchev, the leader of the Soviet Union for a while there around the Cuban Missile Crisis. People think Nikita, that must be a girl. No, it's because we've been trained in our culture because of our Latin, our Greco-Roman roots that that a, a name ending in an A must generally be feminine. I mean, it, it seems like yeah. he's drawing that from something that at least has some real-world roots to it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's true, except for the fact that a lot of the female names that he uses are their one to two syllable names. And that's where part of the problem comes in for me is if you have a, you can't have a short name and a short name because it doesn't sound good. You need to have a longer name that has more syllables. Because, like, my name ends in an A, but my name is longer, like, in syllabic form, you know? It's got, a, it's got three. And this so, white spoon seat. I just had to say it. That's always looked like a spoon to ladle. me. Yes. A ladle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ladle is a really fun word to say, side note. Ladle. Uh, ladle, ladle, ladle. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Robot Chicken. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is where we get the uh, the uh, mystery of the, um, uh, what's the name of the Jedi that word? Oh, Sifo-Dyas. but they don't wrap it up really until uh, the Darth Plagueis novel. <laughs> I was going to say, I was always so confused about that plot. Me too. Uh, okay, someone who they, knows, what is the whole Sifo-Dyas plot? You know, what they tried to do at one point was, I mean, one thing that we know is that, you know, like every Sith has like this last moment where they have to make this choice that is irrevocable and it's what's going to, to cause them to stay on the dark side. At least that's the way that it was played out for a little while. It doesn't seem like it applies everywhere in the EU. Um, but they've essentially said that the final test for Dooku was killing Sifo-Dyas. They're able to get Sifo-Dyas to order the clones, essentially by talking to him about, you know, where the war could be going and all that kind of thing, or, or where war could happen, mm -hmm. and such as we see in the Darth Plagueis novel with the funding coming through essentially Plagueis' holdings, because he had been this big mun banker kind of guy and businessman kind of guy. But then they've, they've kind of gone into the, well, whatever happened to Sifo-Dyas? Because at one point they were saying, in one of the stories that I think has been booted out of canon since then, if I remember right, I think it was from Visionaries, where essentially when Grievous has his accident, or which, which isn't really even an accident anymore, apparently, um, when Grievous had his accident in previous continuity that turned him into the more machine than man or more machine than Kalish type guy, they were infusing him 
with um, Sifadius's blood, that they had kept Sifadius essentially in stasis since he was cut down and were taking his blood to infuse it to make Grievous into something more than he was before. I think that's been erased since then, but they did play around with Sifadius a little bit before the Darth Plagueis novel. It's just that a lot of it has sort of vanished. Yeah. Here that makes everything sense. Everything is soft. Here everything is soft <laughs> and smooth. I love her yeah. dress. <laughs> smooth. That, it's like, the it's the weirdest look. This is where I'm. I really. Uh, I had an older sister we were watching this movie with years back, and she she had a comment on the film, and she was like, um, and it was actually rather telling. She said it, she felt like just the actor Hayden Christensen was just so inexperienced he was just simply wasn't familiar with the idea of romance and the more traditional mean and just really didn't know how to play this like old for lack of a better term Shakespearean at least this 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 is a, a classic romantic uh, two people fall in love storyline but it just doesn't play quite right in my it's oh, just but he he plays his reaction here perfectly the the Okay, she's leaning in, she's leaning in, she's wearing this outfit, they're having the nice little walk and the little talk, they're looking longingly into each other's eyes, and now they... I, I think... <laughs> wow, that was, I was getting all into it, Nathan. <laughs> I know. I think, I think Nathan must have been dropped in the call, but Naboo, I just wanted to say, Naboo is so beautiful. Yeah, it and, is and that, was, that was just the call dropping, Bethany, but I, I want to yeah. continue that, because Nathan dropped out, but no, it's... Ah. Yeah, I, I think he he played his reaction to the end of that fairly well, but it's obvious that the character that Anakin Skywalker himself doesn't really know how to have a good, healthy relationship, I think. Because his relationship with Obi-Wan, while it's somewhat healthy, it's it's not quite going as it should. I mean, we mentioned the baggage earlier, but he he lost his mother at a young age, and he's going to lose her again soon. I honestly think Anakin doesn't know how to maturely handle a deep relationship yeah and I, I think that's actually it's funny because that's too hold because the actor I don't think is very mature in portraying the way that Aiden Christensen just, that wasn't his role he does such a fantastic job with the other aspects of Anakin's character and you know he managed just to keep that you know going and he, and he holds I guess what I'm trying to say is he holds that character up so well but in the end, he just simply doesn't play the romance very well. Let me try to start the Skype call again. Now now we're seeing some clones. Yeah. Clones, clones, clones. Yeah. Well, the, the clone scene to me, that was a real eye-opener. I, I was like, wow, where did this come from? And I, I think that's Obi-Wan's reaction, too. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, wow, a bunch of clones. And Look. apparently they're for the Jedi. I mean, what would your reaction be if you saw a massive army, not just an army, but clones? I mean, just this yeah. shot. Imagine how Obi-Wan must have felt. Magnificent. Magnificent, aren't they? That's not the word I would have chosen. Aaron, you with us? I am. You're carrying the show. No, <laughs> no, we had a. It was a table. Uh, we had some people drop out of the call, but um, yeah. And we're back to romance. Beautiful well, Naboo. Ironically, Nathan, 
is we are now back at the uh, Naboo scenes. Yes. You know, and, I, and I actually love this scene because this is one of those times where, again, you get to see some of Anakin's, uh, his darker side come out where he's, he's essentially promoting the idea of dictatorship. And yet, you know, I, he says he's, he's, for, he's just joking. I mean, he doesn't really say... Uh, he says, you know, I'd be too, I'd be much too frightened to, to uh, tease a senator. And yet you got to kind of wonder with the seriousness at which he says it, if maybe he really is being serious on some level, because he certainly yeah. goes along with Palpatine later on. I love the, the, the way that we see Anakin's development. I, again, his psychology is fascinating, but so, so rarely played on for some reason. Yeah, it's... In a way, I think it's because people always think, oh, it's Hayden Christensen when he was younger. Oh, it's it's the prequels. It's just not acted that well. But even in that... Um, You're making fun of me. You're making fun of me. <laughs> you know, that, was, that line was so distracting. Oh, um, goodness. You know, Paolo could have changed the whole galaxy. Can you imagine? Yeah. Padme falls yeah, I was going to say, it's these romantic scenes in this movie that really, it's one of the reasons why this is one of my least favorite, or this is my least favorite of the six Star Wars films. Let's throw it to you, Aaron, because I know you're not as big of a fan of the of the film, and I, I can't really disagree with you when it comes to these scenes, but you, if you'd care to articulate, what is it that doesn't work here? Well, with the romance, it's just, it's hard to buy into it because Anakin is such an unlikable character. You, it's what? hard to see a smart girl like Padme who seems to have, you know, everything together and she's pretty with it to, to see this guy as an attractive guy. He just, he has, like, no personality. But he has know. a, he and laughs. And they, yeah, he and does. Tosses he, and he rolls with grass. her in the grass. But, well, but see, it's just like, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of a teenager type love where they don't even see, you know, the qualities of each other. It's more about just the infatuation, I guess. Yes. But, yeah. and see, I think that's For Anakin, I think that's... If, I think one reason why Anakin is infatuated, and I'll use that word, with Padme, is he remembers her as that bright thing that came into his life when he was a slave. As yeah, one and I of can understand why he's him. infatuated with her. I just can't understand why she's infatuated with him. It's not well, until the Clone yeah. Wars TV series that he becomes the suave, you know, kind of guy that girls yeah. would fawn over. But well, right now, Aaron, I can give you an answer to that question about why it is that she winds up being infatuated with him. Remember when they met, he was nine, about to turn 10, or was turning 10, she was 14 years old. Have you ever seen the NBC specials called To Catch a Predator? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I like where this is going. That, that to me is the heart of my issue with the romance. Exactly. It's not so much here in episode two, it's episode one. When I'm watching episode one and I see Anakin next to Padme, I have a hard time with that. I mean, I... I I, w I don't know. I just have a really hard time with the age difference. And now it's like, well, what happened to that age difference? They kind of tried to sweep that under the rug. Well, they're a lot closer. See, he's tall now. So age ain't nothing but a number. And mm -hmm. I, you know, it, my... it doesn't play right. And and I blame it on the ticks. Maybe if they had Nexus in there, it would have played. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, my, my fiance and I are nine years apart. And now that's not a huge difference. I could see where it could have been. Uh, been a huge difference even a year or two earlier if that had been when we had had actually met and my parents uh, my dad and stepmother are 10 years apart so I think as as you get older the age differences that are larger start to shrink in their significance but th these people are still so close that that I don't know it still leaves that that 
that creepiness. Maybe if we saw more of those two interacting sometime between episode one and episode two, you know, yeah. that where it would have felt a little more natural for there to be the infatuation. But Anakin was, Anakin was fixating in an almost sexual way, even in episode one. Are you an angel? <laughs> I, I care for you too, uh, but I miss your mother. I, what? He's he's putting the moves on her when he's like nine. Yeah, if I may add, I think that Anakin did have a crush on her, her even back in the episode one days. It kind of shows oh, through, but I think that Padme, I, I don't see the creepiness of it as much, except on Anakin's part. I think that Padme just felt really sorry for him, you know. He's the slave boy, and she's not exposed to that kind of stuff much. You get the feeling that she's... You know, she's grown up on Naboo. I mean, look at this place. It's it's amazing and beautiful, and there's no such thing as slavery. So I well, think I that she, think she just takes pity. I, yeah, I think was, she just takes pity on Anakin in the episode one days. Well, and, and I agree with you, Bethany. I also don't think she was thinking that way. I mean, all through episode one, I mean, her primary uh, responsibility is trying to figure out and protect her people. You know, she's got to be very preoccupied in her mind. So I really doubt that she was even looking at it that way, you know, other than just trying to do her duty. Yeah. You know, Wait, and now, so, so you're saying this is more an Ashton Kusher, Demi Moore scenario playing out. I, I, w I wouldn't know that. but Now, look at your screen right now. Oh, Tell me goodness. she is not screwing with him in the worst possible way. <laughs> this is just shit <laughs> by <laughs> fire. You gotta be got cleavage. If she's not, this is what Look this is that. the kind of situation that causes people who I'm not saying I'm not at all advocating the idea that any form of sexual assault is ever okay. But there are times when people in court bring up the, well, what was she wearing? And the defense in a rape case will almost always try to play up the, well, she was asking for it type of thing. Okay. Yeah. Which, well, which yeah. you know, it's bullcrap in a legal sense. Wait. No is no. But yeah. In this case. If it's about inviting the kind of, of entreaty, emotional entreaties from him, inviting the infatuation, inviting the sexual yeah, urges from him, you can't say she wasn't trying to do that when you got this. Why does she even own this outfit? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 oh, hang on do one second. Really before before we before we go, go any ahead. further, I do want to mention the Star Report is a family-friendly show. So <laughs> keep that in mind from here on out. But you don't wear that kind of clothing unless either one, you are incredibly naive, or two, you really do want to attract some sort of feelings. Hey, C.O. Bibble. See, but I, think, oh. I think she does have feelings for him. I think that they've grown over this time that yeah, they're together yeah. on Naboo. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way she does want to look, you know, attractive for him because she's spending all of her time with him. But she's also very conflicted because she knows that it would be crossing lines. She knows that it would be causing him to go against the Jedi Code and all that stuff. So even if she has feelings, she knows all this stuff. You know, but at the same time, what he's doing, I wouldn't really interpret it as being some kind of an attractive thing. She's conducting an experiment, you know. Let's just see if I put this on, if he'll uh, break his Jedi ties. Well, and I'd also like to give Natalie Portman props because she looks really good right there. <laughs> oh, and all the goodness. guys on the car are like, I'm glad it was a female that said that. Yeah, exactly. Well, Anakin agrees. I will admit it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I do. I do it, this does bring up an interesting point where it's very focused a lot of times when talking about the development of, of their relationship, where the moment is in the movie where they decide to be together instead of it being, oh, we can't because it's forbidden. 
Yeah. But at what point earlier in the movie does Padme's mind go from looking at him as if he's just an adult version of the kid she knew when he was younger to being someone that she might be willing to entertain those types of thoughts. Somewhere along the time when he was sent as her bodyguard, both of them sent to the backwaters on one of the most beautiful planets in the galaxy by themselves. Actually, can I follow up with that? Yes. Uh, You have a good point, and I I think this is something I want to bring up. I I, I had a chance to blog, not as much as I was planning on, leading up to this commentary, and I just wanted to try to gather some thoughts. And one of them, on this Anakin-Padme romance, which I think is going to be the, the sum of, of much of the commentary, because I think it really bears some analysis, because it is a very, uh, almost more than Jar Jar, kind of split down the middle thing of, I think there are a lot of people who like it, but they're not very vocal, and plenty of people who don't like it. And I think Aaron and myself are ones who don't. But here's, I don't think that it's because it's unrealistic or that it's, it doesn't make any sense. I think it makes a lot of sense, but I, I, I think it damages the characters of Anakin and Padme, and here's why. Uh, bear with me for just a moment, guys. What I, what I kind of see in this relationship is Anakin and Padme falling for each other over the course of time because you have two young, frankly, hormonal people, uh, very attractive, thrown on this really beautiful planet. It's, it's kind of humorous, actually. It, it, the Jedi Council puts them all alone, going on picnics, and, and I mean, yeah. you expect them not to fall in love. I mean, it's the simple logic of, of the way relationships work. Uh, relationships work better if people in personal contact. It's why people you know who are dating don't want to live in you know different cities if one has to move because that's a strain on the relationship when really, if you're a true romantic, you think, well, these people are meant to be together anyway. Why would, why would distance? Distance doesn't matter. But as the, you know, as the theme song says, across the stars, they're not really across the stars. They're kind of uh, in the same system, <laughs> on the same planet, in the same room, sleeping in the same buildings, you know, sharing each other's heartaches, uh, trials, and tribulations, and that's the kind of thing that brings people together, but I think it shows both of them having a weakness of character and, and, and derelict, you know, having a dereliction of their own duties mm-hmm. as a Jedi and Senator, respectively, um, and I think that's not, that's, that's why it bothers me more. Riley, can I ask you a question? No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wow, that's harsh, man. (laughs) I gotta wonder if, and this is not something I would have thought of had you not mentioned how they're essentially growing into this. Um, A lot lot has been made about how, if you look at Revenge of the Sith, it sort of feels like the story itself is rushed. That's why so many people like the novelization, because it goes into a lot of the depth that the actual movie doesn't get into because of the pacing of it. Um, Would you say that maybe in this sense, rather than it being Anakin's fall in the pacing of Revenge of the Sith that, that don't quite match up, that maybe just it's the pacing of this movie and how much they have to get through that causes us to miss some of the scenes that you know we, we think should be between the scenes that already exist to make it a little more realistic? Is it just as much a victim of the pacing of episode two as Anakin's fall was in three? Hmm. That's a really good question. And, and my answer, my one-word answer would actually be no. Because I think this there's so much time devoted to this romance and and that the time doesn't help it whereas in you know you look at the empire strikes back a very little screen time overall is dedicated to um 
Princess Leia and Han Solo falling in love. They do fall in love, but it's like in the course of events, and you're caught up in the chase of the Empire and everything. And then there are these little moments where you see uh, what's happening. But they, it's the same thing where they're trapped on a ship for much of the movie, and Han Solo and Princess Leia bond through these trials and tribulations. It's a similar premise, but I think what works about it in The Empire Strikes Back is the fact that um, that's not the whole focus. They didn't like go to a whole beautiful planet, and nothing. The entire focus is on the romance. And Star Wars simply doesn't work well as a purely romantic film, which about 40, 50 minutes of screen time of this film is simply about the romance between Anakin and Padme, and and that's all that's there. If, if I can add a side note as far as their relationship as well, here you see again Padme is feeling kind of sorry is sympathizing with Anakin's troubles and Anakin's problems. I don't think Anakin is playing on her in that way on purpose. Well, I don't but, know. Uh, Bethany, I was going to actually comment on what you just said. And also, um, I don't remember who it was that asked about when maybe Padme's mind changed. But mm-hmm. I think I think she changed after he lost his mother. Um, that's when I really saw a shift in her attitude and tone towards Anakin. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there are some there are some females out there, you know, and in, in even strong female characters that tend to be drawn to the ones that they feel like they need to take care of to or help. mother, yeah. for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. And you know, that may be what's happening here is that she wants to help take care of him because not only does she care about him as a friend, but she cares about him for what he serves for the galaxy. And also she's starting to see what he can do for her, you know? And so it's starting to change for her. And then once his mother dies, um, she really sees an opportunity for herself to be able to give to him, you know, maybe some of the comfort that he's been able to provide for her while she's been, you know, basically, caged on her planet because somebody's trying to kill her you know yeah yeah and, and i i completely agree on that fact and Django, Django is so cool we're gonna switch yes, directions now yes. <laughs> the best oh, not good best fight ever we're going nuts in the chat oh I'm no not. there he goes <laughs> yeah. yes Oh, not oh, good. Goodness. I, I, yeah, this is one yes. of the highlights of the movie. Yeah, I think, see, and for me, what the parts of the film that do work work really well. I love the uh, assassination attempt plot and the yeah. bounty hunters and the underworld of Coruscant as, mm-hmm. as, as Obi-Wan Following goes Obi-Wan. on this mission. Um, yeah. Oh, I think oh, this would be ouch. awesome in 3D Wait. with the rain coming yes, down at you. Yes, it would. It's gonna hurt so much. You slam down on a thin little cord like that, but I, I, I always like cringe because I feel it like gonna start slicing through my hands. I know. With that, it's like ouch. It, <laughs> and there you get to see a Django's dented helmet, mm-hmm. <laughs> courtesy of Obi Wan his massive karate kicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is a testament to the armor. I mean, you know, you get to see Django in action with his armor, and he doesn't die five seconds or swings later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and Boba Fett, I think, has a bigger role in this film than some people give him credit for. I don't think he was just thrown in. I really like the way his relationship with Django plays out in the film, and we've kind of skipped Claw. over it a little bit in, in our uh, earnest discussions of the relationship of Anakin and Padme, but I do think that that, that father-son dynamic um, is is very present and is really the only time you really see that kind of father-son dynamic in Star Wars. 
in, in any yeah. of the films, really. That I'm trying to think off the top of my head. None come to well, mind. Well, you, you have a few father-son-like relationships, but not not any true ones in uh, in the movies, that is. Uh, you right. see it play out a bit between Luke and Darth Vader, though, at the end of Return of the Jedi. That's true. That's true. That, now, but that dynamic, yeah, that's a much more emotional dynamic, but you kind of see that them, you know, being younger as they uh, have that relationship kind of grow. And, and, and that moment of, you know, he wants a son, um, just doesn't really, I guess, want to deal with women, I guess, is Jango's philosophy. <laughs> but, do, but does he want a son, though? Because the way that the EU tends to play this is not so much that he wants a son as he, he wants someone to carry on the legacy of of Fett and his own traditions that Django wants mm-hmm. you know since he has no children this this child so to speak will be who he will train to follow in his footsteps I mean there's a, there's a fatherly angle to it but especially around the time Attack of the Clones was coming out a lot of the EU stuff that was out there like the Boba Fett books it, they they, they kind of played up on Django's side more of the well he's my legacy and more on the Boba side of well this is my dad you know like there was a disconnect between what the two of them wanted. We actually talked about this, uh, Mark and I, with Kelly on, on Star Wars Beyond the Films uh, recently, on an episode on parenting. So I'm not sure that, that, that even that is a good example of necessarily of parenting in the films. The films here just don't... I mean, if there's any f- characters that seem like they're a, an okay family, it might be the Larses before Luke enters the picture, but you don't, <laughs> you don't really see yeah. very much of that here. They're pretty... And, and, and they're pretty... Gritty, the Lars guys. They're they're, they're pretty um, grizzled, I guess. Uh, yeah, just a just a bit, almost as grizzled as Watto here. They, did, did we I lose lost our, my legs? Did we lose <laughs> Skype or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. We lost. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why the lack of feedback. Oh goodness. I can't do a Watto impression. <clears throat> yeah. Watto is is just such a. What you believe was... it or not, I heard you feed her. I married her. Tell me a bit of that, eh? <laughs> yeah. Watto always struck me as kind of a sad little creature. He always just made me By this so time, sorry yeah. for him. You kind of just, yeah. you just kind of. He looks old and pitiful and worn out, and you can tell that he's afraid of Anakin even here. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, I remember I read his, his yeah. excerpt on the Star Wars guy, Essential Guide to Characters that we got, and it was just kind of depressing when I read his thing where it says, oh, he's just kind of living out the rest of his life. The rest of his miserable existence. Yeah. I mean, even, even the slave Shmi Skywalker until she got captured by the Tuscans seemed to have a better life than he did in the end. Yeah. Um, is this uh, skipping because of the disc or because of the internet, the movie itself? That uh, you know, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's. I guess it's it's kind of goes to a matter of Watto. It, it kind of represents what happens to you when you stick around on Tatooine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I see that hive of scum and villainy. Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, I, yeah, to... I I really you can keep fixing that, but I was going to mention uh, that. I I did like the portrayal of both Django and Boba in this movie. And I know I know that there was there was some sort of joke or clip or comic strip about how in in the prequel trilogy someone's asking George Lucas, "Oh, so you're going to have Darth Vader in the in the movies?" And like, "Yes, but he's a little kid." And you're going to have Boba Fett in the movies. Uh, yes, but he's a little kid. Uh, but I, I did actually like 
seeing the characters grow and uh, being able to see this as a saga that's one thing i just love about star wars you have a whole massive saga and a story of people from beginning to end and um not just one movie yeah. well bethany that's because you and i are obsessed with harry Potter. <laughs> actually i've never seen harry potter i thought you liked it i i love lord of the rings i know we've talked about that before uh, I've been meaning to watch Harry Potter, though. Of the panel, who here recommends Harry Potter to me and Riley? The prize is for I recommend it, but I look like him, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have no choice. You need to read it. You need to read it. I see. Quick question I... for the panel. Uh, Nathan, what what shot are you, are you guys on right now? Stand by. Uh, I am seeing the... Uh, I'm seeing Django Fett with the Slave 1 zipping through the asteroid field. Uh, R4 is almost, almost smoked there. Uh, Django's wearing his idiotic headgear. Have they done the sound things yet? Uh, yes. They did the sound things there just a moment ago. Uh, okay. Star Wars sound effects as provided by Slash from Guns N' Roses. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Shooting out. I'm just making sure we're still generally... On the same page, I had to yeah. kind of jump around a bit there. I'm really curious as to how you're recording this, so I'm going to step away from the microphone and go around and look at your screen because I'm dying to see how you're recording this right now. Okay, Bethy, okay. Well, carrying on conversation, we were talking about Django and Boba, and they're. I just have to. I just have to say, I love the sonic charges. They're one of my favorite Bam. sound effects developed for the, pre for the prequels. So, uh, yeah. it's amazing. Oh yeah, that's the, that's one thing that actually makes me want to see this in 3D in the theater. Because I got a 3D TV yes. now. I got that, that Sony PlayStation relatively affordable one. And, you know, I'll, I'll watch 3D movies, but give me a 3D Blu-ray. I'd love to see Avengers now, but I don't want to go and deal with all the idiots in the actual you know, you know, theater and whatnot. So I'm gonna, you know, getting me to go for Star Wars is, is kind of rough. I'm gonna we, just, we should go to the same one, given the fact that I know so close. You know, Nathan, it's funny because you're a longtime proponent. I've heard you many times on podcasts talk about how... Um, much you hate the the movie experience now. Oh, I loathe it. I, and you've said it many <laughs> times, and, and you know it's only been in the recent year or two that I've bothered to really see movies at all at, at, at with any regularity. And uh, I mean, like maybe three or four a year, but that's that's a lot more than I used to, which would be none. But you know, I was like, I, I had mostly good experience. Although usually I'd see a film on a matinee, uh, you know, a week or two after it's released, and there'd only be ten or twelve people there. But at the Avengers, we went opening weekend and. Um, I'll tell you what, um, there, 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 it was a packed house, but you were just like, oh, this is exciting. And then just like, you know, in the middle of the trailers, a literal shouting match turned to fight broke out in the bottom yep. row. And I was like, you know what? I think Nathan was right. I mean, literally exactly. they're screaming at each other. And, you know, over the a seat. five movies that I've seen in theaters, I've been thinking, well, maybe Nathan's just at a bad theater or something. And they're like, oh wait, this is probably the same one. And look, well people are screaming at each other <laughs> but you know they broke it up and and it seemed to work for the most part mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay now they're they're a bit ahead of us right now uh, oh, oh really yeah as far as if you want to skip to just after they've landed okay where i got gotcha. seeing all this ships Beep. land though by the way no matter what anakin and obi-wan both say about anakin being the better goodness pilot obi-wan's pretty good here yeah. I, I think Obi-Wan is just cool overall. I hope this is approximately good. It's probably... Yeah, uh, yeah that's where they were about like 40 seconds, 40 okay, seconds good, ago. Good. All right. So I think um, we may have lost internet again. Uh, what are you um, going to do? Cry. 
Well, no, we're still watching. See, Star Wars, see, so this way good. we don't have to fill time. We just turn up the volume. There it is. Anyway, Obi Wan acts as a spy, a brother, a master, a friend, uh, a pilot, a good Jedi, a good teacher. Obi Wan is just overall awesome. He doesn't crack like Anakin does. He isn't. Um, Qui Gon really kind of rubs the council the ro- wrong way, I think. And uh, you know, you can you can tell with someone like Yoda, while he's very intelligent and wise, he really does seem to prefer the teacher role. And um, Obi Wan overall seems seems great. So anyway, yeah. I think we have the call back. So I think so. Yay. Yeah. Just keep making sure we're uh, staying. Synced up as we talk. Hello. It's Jason and Teresa. All right, we're jumping back on. Yeah, we're just going to be doing this for the next hour while the movie finishes out. But, you know, what can you do? I'm going to pop up the volume. They're out the blue milk. That blue milk. All right. So they've already already met the lard. So I just want to defend the movie theater experience really quick because (laughs) I love going to the movie theater. It's one of my favorite things to do. I always go see movies at the theater, and I could not live without it. Just saying. Well, and I think yeah. actually, Teresa, I do agree with you. I, 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 and you know, the past, you know, almost ten experiences, only one has been bad. So, Nathan, you need to give it a second chance. I, I will. I just, I find it frustrating that now I can get a better picture at home than yeah. at the theater. You know, I can get a better 3D experience from my home television than I can from the theater. So it's kind of a, why am I spending this much money? Although I'm a big proponent, and I mentioned this on Facebook, some people wound up in a big old conversation about it. I'm a big proponent of why not say, okay, first run movies, you put them in theaters, and you make them pay-per-view day and date, and you raise the cost of pay-per-view a little bit, you hopefully lower the cost a little bit for the theaters, you give everybody a chance to see it in whatever form they like to see it. And it yeah. makes it that much easier for people to get used to the idea of, say, 3D televisions, if they want to do that, you know, especially seeing as how 3D Blu-rays are now becoming a thing where you can buy them for just a little bit more than, uh, yeah. than the other stuff. Now, I will say, looking at Padme here. Okay, you know she's trying to mess with his head when she can wear a tablecloth and turn it into a midriff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just want to comment on the movie theater thing um, that I think one of the differences might be is that I've seen between, and I'm just pointing this out gender specific, is because, like, for me... Hmm. That's unfortunate. Okay. <laughs> yes, we we dropped it. There's really just something about the movie. I can't do it. <laughs> the <laughs> no. movie, theater experience is just really important. Okay, are that, you guys? Is that back? what you're trying Teresa? to say, Teresa? I'm I'm here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Hello. Is that, is that okay. so? That's what you're trying to say, right, there Teresa? She is again. <laughs> I filled in for. <laughs> okay. Am I here? Yes, yeah. Teresa. Yes. You. Okay. We. So what I was saying is that I think yeah. there's a gender difference too when it comes to the movie theater because of graphics. Because, like, for me, I love my PlayStation 3 and my 360, and I get the whole graphics thing, but I don't think it means as much to me as it does, you know, like, my brother or my guy friends that play video games. So I'm not as much concerned about the picture that I'm getting on the movies, on the screen, as I am the experience of getting the sound and, you know, the people and... And just the whole experience of the theater itself. The mu- the music is really complimenting you, Teresa. By the way. Yes. And now with ba- yeah. with Duel of the Fates, Nathan can take the, the rebuttal. <laughs> that, 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 oh no! I would just say that 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 I'm I'm not as concerned with the 
you know, the, 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 the graphics, so to speak, like the, the, the audio-visual quality, although I would say that, you know, the fact that you can get that better at home now kind of makes me go, well, why bother? Um, but no, it, what, what you say makes the experience may in your area. And I'll tell you, when I, when I lived back home uh, in Evansville, Indiana, I liked the movie theater going experience. I liked the crowds, especially on, on the opening day of Star Wars films. It was great, especially back whenever we all cut class uh, or had our parents call in and say we were sick during the special editions. <laughs> um, but, uh-huh. you know, when you, when you step back and look at it, though, here where I'm living now, the people are the problem. The people aren't part of the experience. The people are what detract from it. It's it's like a, it's like Randall from Clerks, right? This job would be great would be great if it wasn't for all the customers. Well, now going to a movie theater would be great if it wasn't for all the other people going to see the movie. Yeah, I would agree, and maybe that's part of it. You know, here where I'm at, and I'm in Austin, Texas. You know, it's a very big film community. You know, so are people you? go to films and they love it. Yeah, so you know, you know? You, that, that's home of the Alamo Draft House, right? Yeah, and I go to the Alamo Draft House for almost all of my movies. Like that, the Alamo Draft I, House is probably why. That probably yeah. explains quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I think here people go to the movies in lieu of hiring a babysitter. Yeah, that seems to happen. Yeah, and it's just going to be a different experience in different places. The main places we go to is right here, Tinseltown, Fayetteville, Georgia. Um, or it's going to be on screen. On screen, got to point out Shumai. We almost never see Shumai except for when she shows up in uh, the web strips. Shumai is actually the main Confederacy enemy that you're up against in Connect Star Wars. So she finally gets her due. That weird, like, really? wrinkly face chick with the, the the weird, like, tail that going out of the back of her head that looks like it's braided hair and it's kind of hard to tell. She finally gets some oh, of her, her. own okay. uh, yeah. screen time, so to speak, because she gets to be, uh, it gets to be her and the, com- and, uh, this is the Commerce Guild that are the big enemies of Connect Star Wars. Yeah. Hmm. Aha. Well, I, I think it's interesting to see a, a round table of bad guys is pretty much what this is. Uh, <laughs> to see them all gathered in one place and imagine how hard it is to get people together for a good cause where you're all all for one and one for all type of thing. Uh, but how much harder it would be to gather a bunch of selfish nasty jerks who are only thinking about themselves or their company or their family or whatnot and oh, see i don't know I, I would say greed brings people together more than altruism a lot of times unfortunately although mm-hmm. I, I, I gotta be Just thinking if I, if I was obi-wan boy won't obi-wan look back at this and wish he had a thermal detonator handy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes. right about that time i think the, the moment obi-wan thought of that was probably <laughs> And I realize with what's on screen is the very bad time to be making a joke. Um, all right, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> that's that's the deal with the commentary. But I know it also was disturbing when when I first saw this. I mean, she like mo- movies do death scenes usually with you know like like what we saw at the beginning of the film where you know the character still looks pretty much like themselves. They just got you know the little scuff marks and such, maybe a little blood on the the trickling out of the mouth, and then the character dies. She is roughed up. Yes. And, yeah. and, you know, you can see the, the, the savagery yes. that went into it, and it really plays into, oh you know, obviously Anakin's so reaction. It's one of my favorite moves, music cues oh, uh, in the yes. entire Star Wars trilogy, or in the Star Wars saga, where it's sort of, it's, you know, it's almost two different songs. One kind of runs into the, uh, the other, but you get that great moment where you can see, where you hear in the music where his attitude changes from grief to hatred. 
Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's well, the I, most tragic scene and it plays so well. This is where Hayden Christensen kind of entirely redeems himself for the last hour. I was about to just yeah. say that. Like, this is yeah. one of the scenes where he acts it so well that you believe him. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, it's, this is one of the scenes that still gets me no matter when I watch it. It's, you know, uh, just this whole scene. I, I, I get chills every time I watch it, even without hearing the audio. I'm just like, getting chills here yeah yeah I gotta actually turn it up One thing about that scene in this movie is, like Nathan said, it's not a clean death scene. She is really roughed up. No! And she she doesn't die with a nice, clean, I love you, son, and I hope you do well, and I hope the Jedi are teaching you well. Go at peace and uh, save the world. You know, I'll be here for you on the other side. It's, you know, she, she dies in the middle or at the beginning of trying to just start to say she loves him and she can't even finish this, that. This is where the whole tone of the movie shifts and like here forward is just a fantastic uh, yeah. piece of filmmaking. And I don't care what you say. It's the, this moment forward where you see that shift in Anakin's character, that shift in the entire saga where you know something big has just happened and yeah, the, yeah. the music tells you, you hear the the force theme and then you hear qui-gon jen's voice and then you the know and yoda significant yoda looks so crushed during that scene it's yeah. just his his head bows down you can see that he feels the terrible effect it has on, on the whole galaxy not just on anakin well, well, even Mace Windu. He's not going to stop and talk about it, though. You know, he's just going to go about <laughs> it because it's, oh, you made it back from Genosius. Okay. Yeah, and Mace Windu's body language in that scene, too. I mean, he's like, he. it almost looks as if he's anxious and ready to just figure out, you know, who's causing this pain and suffering and just to get rid of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope, nope, don't. By the way, that does, does everybody the, else oh. hate the Geonosians as much as I do? They're just creepy. I hate them. They're like big, them. giant bugs. What? Yes. Love them. Hate leads to suffering. Oh, come well, on. Well, I hope they suffer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Exactly, Teresa. <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. Uh, I just kind of wish we a, didn't get the zombies uh, with earlier than we did. a big, giant shoe. Smash. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Let's um. see. R2! <laughs> you guys missed it because the call dropped, but I was talking about the, how the whole momentum of the film changes at, at that Anakin scene, and really yeah. you have a sense of drive that isn't there in the previous hour and 20 minutes that just moves this last part of the movie. We're only just over halfway through it. This last part of the movie just rushes through in, in, in a great way, uh, I think, yeah. th- that, that you see begin with that scene. Yeah, no. it's it's similar to I liken it to similar to Return of the Jedi in that fact is that you know it hits a certain point and it just goes for the rest of the film and it's nothing but awesomeness, um, in my opinion. So it's um, 
I love Return of the Jedi. I love this film. So it's like, yes, yes. Yeah. It, it just Return gets great. Return of the Jedi is my favorite film. So, <laughs> Now, this scene right here, shouldn't this be... I mean, this should be the deal breaker in the relationship, shouldn't it? The man you love confesses to you that he slaughtered women and children, an entire community, in yeah. revenge, in cold-blooded revenge. And what is she, to, to be angry is to be human. Um, like, what? She should have followed that with, I'm getting the heck out of here. Yes. There's only run. so far you can push the idea of being a psychopath in reaction to tragedy and just say, oh, well, that was just because of the tragedy. He yeah. really pushes it. I think this is the point where, uh, of all the different points in the film of Padme and the way she reacts to the relationship, this is the point at which she acts the most unrealistic. The line delivery in uh, what a truly, madly, deeply, or whatever you know, old uh, song she's quoting whenever she talks to him when they're getting ready it's to go into song, isn't it? Um, that was the worst delivered piece of it on her end. But this is the least believable. I mean, really, he just slaughtered all of them, including children, and you're cool with this? This isn't something to have a conversation about. You're just going to tell him it's okay? It's all Obi-Wan's fault. Well, no, see, okay, here's the thing from a girl's perspective, okay? She... Um, she's not going to run away from somebody that's struggling. And okay, yes, he did all of these crazy things, but if he, she really does love him and who her character is and the way Padme is supposed to be, she's going to do everything in her power to help him become better. She's not going to abandon him. She's going to stay by his side. She's not going to leave, which is why in Revenge of the Sith, she goes to him. You know, she yeah. knows that all this bad stuff is happening, but she's going to go anyway because she's driven by her heart and by her passion for him and by her love for him, and she's <laughs> not going to give it up. Well, this know. is why she loses the will to live. She's like, well, I already raised Anakin. <laughs> I got <laughs> I, I, I to disagree with Teresa a little bit. I, I think we downplay the fact that there has to be something fundamentally psychologically damaged within Padme as well that on both sides, even though Anakin is the more obviously damaged character, there's something fundamentally flawed about the relationship entirely on both sides. And that the, the fact that Padme was sheltered, it may be not emotionally developed as well, sort of plays into how she reacts to some of his weird behavior, we should say. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'd actually agree with you, Peter. I didn't, I hadn't really thought about that angle of it, but um, that does make a lot of sense that she's probably got something going on with her too that I know draws her to his personality want. type. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it's a healthy relationship at all. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, she probably can relate to a child being thrust into an adult's role. I mean, that, for all intents and purposes, was what happened. I mean, Darth Plagueis himself, with Sidious's help, arranged for her to become a queen. I mean, she didn't really have the desire, as we originally believed. It was more one of those things where her desire coincided with the Sith's ultimate goal, and bam, there she was thrust right into an adult status. Yeah, I, I think when when Aaron was saying that it doesn't really make sense for someone like Padme to fall in love with someone like Anakin, uh, it makes sense vice versa, but not for Padme. I think he's right, and then what Peter says really does kind of explain that. It's not an inherently healthy relationship. It's an inherently unhealthy one. Um what what did you guys think of Shmi in this one? It's you know it's been years for us since we've seen her in the Phantom Menace. 
I always thought that she did a good job, with, particularly with a role that had so little time. Yeah, no, I agree. She's, as far as a, uh, a character, Prunella August does a great job with a character that is relegated to minor character status in both films, um, but especially in this one. And she just makes it, she takes the character in this film and connects it completely to the character in the previous film. And there's no separation from that at all. And I, I find that really, uh, really good. And because the both times we've seen her, the last two times we've seen her, when her death scene and then when Anakin leaves, it's just such heart-wrenching moments that I think it just naturally flows, that it, it connects very well for that. Um, and uh, those are two scenes that get me every time. So uh, I, I, I think she does an amazing job. So. I always wondered, though, if Obi-Wan, or not Obi-Wan, but if uh, Owen Lars, when he saw Anakin come back with his mom and all that, if, if this played into his opinion of the Jedi. I mean, Anakin was off being a Jedi. That's all he knows. And he knows that Anakin's mom disappears, and yet Anakin waits till the very last minute to show up, and when he shows up, it's too late. I wonder if that ever plays into the character. You know, that's one of those things I see that scene, it always strikes me. Hey, this, this is the scene I was saying we needed to point out when it comes to the whole sexism angle and the casting and, and, and the editing choices and that sort of thing. Um, look at Padme's outfit. Not yeah. all of now, not all of the things that we're seeing are part of the contour of the outfit. You would think an editor would have changed that, but it gets left in. It makes me yeah, wonder, did somebody not notice in the process? Did oh no, somebody so noticed. They made an unleashed figure that had that same little adaptation. Well, yeah, so, so why edit it that way unless there's at least some level of sexism where it's like, oh, well, we well, must make the character yeah. sexy. So if, if it's could, cold on that starship, well, that's just okay. Yeah, and it's, well, and, uh, to break in, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to tackle an issue like this in, in a semi-family-friendly ma manner, but I will follow up and say it is something that's obviously an issue in, in, in Attack of the Clones. We'll put it yes. that way. I mean, it's an issue, in my opinion, in Return of the Jedi. It's one of the most overlooked things, if we ever get around to Return of the Jedi commentary, is that they slapped the main character in a bikini, and I think, from, not from an in-universe standpoint, but from an out-of-universe standpoint, really damaged the character of Leia. And and I, I'm, I, I feel very alone in that opinion. I've never heard anyone else say that. I'll well, actually, I think that's the point, though. I mean, she was put on display by Jabba. I mean, Yeah, was I'm degrading. talking about out-of-universe. Though. I, I agree uh, with you, Mark, in-universe. Well, um, I actually kind of, I agree with both of you guys just because I think that, I think they're trying to make a point, you know, and to say that she's being put on display, but at the same time, like, how do, would anybody in the universe really wear anything like that ever? Because I don't really see that, you know, happening. So, I don't know. I uh, wish yeah. I still had, there, there was an interview that George Lucas gave in Maxim. I actually had torn it out, and I, I just threw it away probably two weeks ago when I was cleaning out a bunch of stuff here. But Lucas is asked about the, the figure of Padme and the way she factors in. Does she appear as a sex symbol to any degree, you know, kind of the way that, that uh, Leia did with the metal bikini? And he makes a comment that to a degree, you know, that's, there are images with Padme, just like with Leia, that are meant to spark certain thought processes going in the minds of young male audience members. So it seems as though, you know, in both cases, it was a, well, let's go for the, what do they call it, cheesecake factor? I forget what they call it. But, yeah, but let's go for that, that, let's throw a female character into some sort of more sexual role here. I mean, it's the same thing at the end of this film. How on earth does the Nexus slash the way he slashes, and you sure, try it in slow-mo, it doesn't make sense, and, <laughs> and turn the, the body part into a midriff and rip off the... 
the, the sleeve up to that point leaving underneath it. It makes no logical sense unless it's just, hey, let's hit, you know, the young, impressionable little boys out there. Let's let's hit the kids and, out there and that's, somewhere in Anakin's mindset when they look at it. And that's yeah. something that's not only that, it's to give girls a reason to cosplay a costume, because I have done that costume, and I love it. Just saying. <laughs> Point taken. Point taken. Oh, but no, it is something that I've been that I'm uncomfortable with in terms of of the way Lucas, I think, approaches that. But I mean, it's it's certainly nothing unusual for Hollywood. Um, but yeah, but I mean, if you think about if if you reverse the gender roles here and think about the movie Thor, there's that one scene where he just had to be shirtless. It's like, yeah, this was completely thrown in just to have this actor shirtless. Just to well, get all the squeeze yeah, from I the agree. ladies in the but audience. But at the same time, I think, you know, I know there's a lot of girls out there that are going to disagree with me because, you know, they don't want to see women objectify, blah, 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 blah. But I think at the same time, and I'm talking about me specifically, like, I actually like them putting the girls out there in a sexy sort of way on the screen and stuff because women are sexy. They just are. I know? never knew this. <laughs> what? What is this? Oh, goodness. Well, I, I think, in a way, I agree with you. I, I mean, I don't think that a woman, just because she happens to be female, should be wrapped up like in a nun's robe or in, in a burqa all the time or something like that. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want them to be objectified. I don't mind if it's a, hey, I have a great body, uh, I, I work out a lot, I'm yeah. strong. And can I... Can I do the cheap shot and say, I don't think women are sexy. I think they are beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now this conversation is getting weird. (laughs) Okay, Uh, and I think, yeah, we really shouldn't be having this conversation with the current screen. (laughs) But yeah, I I wanted to talk about Count Dooku some too, just because he is awesome. Christopher Lee. Yes. yes. Oh, we lost He's awesome. (laughs) Okay, good. It may be difficult to secure your release. What do you like most about um, Oh, Sam Jackson? Wait, what was the question? <laughs> Dello, Bell- Dello Belligates. In response to this direct threat to the Republic, Misa proposed Pretty significant scene. Yeah. Give immediately emergency G- I wish that politicians today would talk like that. That would be hilarious. Hello, Belligates. <laughs> Misa proposed the health care laws. Yeah, but this this is so sad in a way because you see where this is going. Jar Jar is trying to help, but he's making the biggest mistake it is, possible. It is great, great reluctance, reluctance that I have agreed to this calling. I love I democracy. Love I love the Republic. Oops. I love the Republic. There it is. The, the powers you that you give me, I will lay down, down when, when this crisis has abated. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And oh, silly Jar Jar. Yeah. And with this first act, with this new authority, a grand I would... army of the Republic. Oh. To counter the increasing I love that scene. Yeah. Go, Ian McDermott. It's done, then. It is done. With thunderous applause. Well, see, th- here there's still dissidents. Um, Palpatine has a remarkable ability to unify the Senate in a way that hasn't been done. Say what you want, even if it's the evil way. He unifies the Senate, and it's it's remarkable. Good stuff. Hmm. 
That's sort of the, the tradition in history is that democracies are very slow to go to war and they need an external threat to sort of solidify the military power. And that's what you see Palpatine doing now. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pete, I want to bring you into this conversation because I know you're into the politics and theology and, and philosophy of this kind of thing. And I, I, I just I, I wrote I was writing an article for the blog. You can check it out on StarWarsReport.com. But there's a quote from Plato. I, I'll paraphrase, but basically he said, democracies um, are always followed by a dictatorship. And the best of democracies are followed by the worst kind of dictatorship. And uh, that's kind of his general point there happens, and, I, and I think that I think there's merit to it and I think that we lost into a war here. oh okay so let me throw that to you Bethany hmm I, I think that, that that's Maybe a good point and that that comes that comes right along with the lines of the difference between a democracy and a republic mm-hmm. and uh, why we as America for instance are a republic and not a democracy we have certainly have democratic elements but we are not a democracy um, and, and I think that there's a very important difference there because I believe that Plato was largely correct, at least in the type of democracy that he would describe. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad in a way to watch this go down, to watch Jar Jar make the mistake, to see um, how much the... Just how much things are falling apart, and no one really realizes this. Yeah. You with us, Peter? Uh, yep, I'm back. Okay, I think you're the only Me one. Me too. Oh, hey, look, we. I'm here. This is just Yay. fun. This is like this is like automatic debate. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine if they did presidential debates on Skype, where they would be like, would <laughs> 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 be like, we've had the Republican primaries here in the United States. It'd be like Newt Gingrich is making a great point about his po- policy or something, and then it's boom, your time's up. Skype cut off. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to use you, gentlemen, to uh, help me with the timestamp because the- uh, they're walking into the factory. Uh, yeah, I've right got Anakin cutting up no okay. conveyor belt. And she falls. That's All that I'm... stuff they added to the movie because they thought, we need more action at this point, so let's add some kind of sad little uh, bumbling but type of thing. Stuff. Let's add the droids into it. Yeah. Not an addition we needed. Really? really? I, I'd like I'd the like scene like leading up to this, though, where you had all the Geonosians hiding in the wall. You're like, ooh, 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 that's, that's, that's not a carving that's alive! <laughs> and see, I, I can't stand the Geonosians, so I'm just like, I just die. Well, I can't stand it either, and they come out of the walls like, I know. like bugs like that bugs. are just like, you know, crawling up your wall like a cockroach, and then it, you know, flies at you, Ants and you freak out. Open. Yeah. And, and I, somewhere deep inside there, you've got the brain worm things from uh, the yeah. Clone Wars cartoon Ugh. series to turn you into a zombie. Yeah. yeah. I can't stand, I can't bugs. I'm <laughs> bugs. See, that's why I don't like the Dark Nest trilogy of, of EU novels. The enemies are all killicks. It's how do, how, do, how do you get your mind around bugs as these giant threatening creatures? To me, it's just they're just the weird little creepy crawlies. No, but see, to me, to me they are right giant right, threatening right, 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 right. <laughs> You're joking. Oh, there, there goes 3PO. It's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a bad episode of droids turned live action. <laughs> so exactly. I like this stuff. I like the droids in the factory. Uh, it's just fun. Uh, especially R2. 3PO is entertaining, is where, but R2 is awesome. Come on, R2 jets. This jets. is where everybody so, freaks out and goes, he had jets? What? 
<laughs> wow. And by the way, side note, I just completely like my the DVD completely crapped out and was was running horribly and and I had to skip ahead like 5 minutes and then I realized I landed exactly where you guys are. That was fun. Yeah. There you go. That was Force really funny. The Force See, was with And now no. she's fighting with a grasshopper and it's gross. Yeah. yeah it's, oh. I just want to bring in the, Pull his the wings Clone off. Wars. Pull his wings off. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. I I really liked in the Clone Wars. Where they killed Geonosians with a flamethrower. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. yes. Why, why didn't they bring the flamethrower here? I know. The, okay, and so there goes three PO's head. Three PO, three PO puns. Thumbs up or down? <laughs> down. down. Oh. Way down. Way down. I love three PO. Uh, so do I. He's I would say up. thumbs up. I'm I'm gonna do a thumbs up too. I think this is an age thing, guys, because if you think about it, the people that don't like it are the older people, and the people that are okay with it are the younger people. <laughs> that's that's, like that's a good point. Good point. Except for Mark. Does that mean we are more learned and mature? Physiological. Hey now. Hey now. Mark is younger at heart. Well, I don't know. I don't know, who, I don't know how old everybody jaded. is. I, I think you guys are just old and bitter. Yeah. There. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a whippersnapper and actually. Well, I think Jason and I, we're about the same age. I'm 20. I'm 23. Just turned 23. Okay. Okay. okay so so I'm older than you guys. I'm 27. Oh well. See, Mark and I are about the same. I'm 32. Mark, you're what? 30. I am. As my alarm goes off. Uh, that, that's warning. That's warning R2 about warning. Padme. You are old. You are old. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm 32. Mark, you're 33, right? Yeah. Just turned mm -hmm. 33 six days ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I'm, it's you I'm two, 32. and then and it's you three, and then me, and then I turned twenty-two uh, recently. Okay, all right. And I'm closer to the old crowd. I'm thirty, so. As a Teresa and I both have the different perspective, I guess, on the children because we're the two teachers on the call, right? Yay, anybody else in education? No. No. I only no. educate people through my podcasts. <laughs> I have kids. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I can bore you about developmental ages and at what point they're able to do hypothetical thinking and all of that kind of stuff. That's Sorry. why. You ever wonder how though Padme didn't get burned when this thing opened up? Yes, I, I that always just I was like, I was like there should have been like a drop. I would far rather fight something ow. than be trapped in something, and that scene always ow. freaked me out. Ow, 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 ow. Oh, oh. they're both lose his hand on all this stuff. I know. I know. They're they're both trapped. But and it just, it kind of creeps me out. I was like, ah, no, you're not fighting. I, I, I like how they, they come lightsaber. It gives him the out as to, well, <laughs> I was holding on to it. Yes. <laughs> don't, don't I do have to do say something, again. but once again, R2 rescues one of the heroes, and that is why he is the best character in Star Wars, so. And, hmm. That is a good point, actually. wonder if R2 could be little... so many times. Too long. Uh -huh. Oh, the CGI fet. Yes, uh, there it is. <laughs> so, do, do you guys think of R2 as just kind of like the unsung hero of the Arturito. saga? Arturito! In este clase hablamos en español, por favor. <laughs> you guys, have you guys seen Robot Chicken? I've got to ask. I bet the internet the third, disappeared. Oh, <laughs> I'm talking to the thing. In este clase... Hablamos en español, por favor. Si, me llamo es C-3PO. C-3PO. <laughs> that, that skit was quite funny. Isn't it um, weird? Also, weirdly, the internet jumps out whenever... Um, yeah, I wonder why it, why it affects the DVD. Yeah. I love you. I know. No, no. <laughs> you wish that they had said something like that. No, 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 no. Ow. 
I thought that we had decided not to fall in love. Okay, I've got to ask. People are jumping back into the call, I think. Teresa, are you with us? To live a lie. No, yes, no. That's still no internet. Okay, Bethany, I'm going to pose it to the people. I thought we had decided not to fall in love. Is love a choice? I think our lives are going to be destroyed anyway. Philosophical. I believe that love is a choice. Ooh. I do, too. I think... You do what? Okay, um, we're gonna ask the panel. All right. So he says, he says, I thought we had decided not to fall in love. So philosophical discussion: Is love a choice? Bethany and I say no. No, we said no. yes. Wait, wait, wait. Come Come on. On. I, I, I don't think it's a choice. Wait, wait, wait. One at a time. We'll start with the uh, engaged folks. We'll start with Teresa. I would like to say on this, I think that it's half and half. I think, I think at one at That's one point response. when you're going through a relationship. You find yourself falling in love with somebody, and you can either have a choice to continue down that path, or you have a choice to go in a different direction. So I think that while maybe not initially, you know, there comes a point when you have to make a choice of whether or not you're going to actually openly admit to yourself that you are in love with a person, and at yeah. that point, it becomes a choice. Good answer, Nathan. I'd say it's a question of whether you act on it. Um, speaking mm -hmm. as someone who, when I was in high school. Uh, I, I realized, perhaps belatedly, that I was falling for my best friend. And there never really was an opportunity to act on that, and doing so would have screwed up that friendship and fundamentally changed it. So you get to a point where you have to decide, you know, even if I have feelings for an individual, do I pursue it or not? Which, you know, also goes into, uh, the, the, you know, if you want to take it to a darker side here, no pun intended with Star Wars, <laughs> take it back to the stuff like with, you know, Padme being 14, Anakin being 10, and the whole issue of, of, of predators and such out there. You know, there's that, the, there, the whole question of legality on anything like that comes down to choice, you know, choice of action. Even if someone is someone who has some sort of derangement in that regard, they still have the choice of acting upon it or not, and that's where the criminality comes in. So there's got to be yeah. some level of choice in action. Otherwise, a lot of our laws that deal with psychoses and such yeah. fall apart if it's all emotion. I, think I would 100% agree with Nathan. It's all about action. What do you actually do about it? Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, speaking as as the as the young single guy who has literally no claim at all to the subject at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> other than one thing, I happen to be human, so I got that going for me. But um, but you got a there's a, heart. I, there's this remarkable and unique human ability of choice that I think our culture today and many cultures don't value. And there's such a sense of of things were just meant to be, or I I. There's a, such a sense of victimism in our culture today where people just feel victim to their circumstances. And I don't think – I think many people don't see the value of, of your human ability to choose your destiny and change what happens in your own life. Um, I mean, granted, there's, there's different circumstances, and some people don't have choices depending on where they live or what's happened to them. But if you stop and think about it, um, if, if nothing else – you can choose how you react to what happens to you. You how you always yeah. have a choice, and I think I would also that's a say, theme. Riley, mm -hmm. I would also say that there's two kinds of love. I mean, I've I've heard people say before, like I love you, but I'm not in love with you. You know, there's that unconditional love, and then there's that you know, as you say again, the choice love, where you know you yeah. make it more. Well, it becomes the emotional side, sure. and that's the one where yeah. you choose. I mean, you can. I mean. You know, you can love a friend that, you know, you've known your whole life 
and it's a different kind of love, but you can't deny that it's still a love. You yeah, know? it's there's not a, that there's emotional a caring there. tie. Yeah, and that's where I think that that's a the distinct line that that has to be drawn. Where I think Lucas and, and in this film really pushes the they just fell in love in a very traditional grandiose Hollywood sense, which which I, which I can appreciate. But I, I think there was a loss of a sense of choice. And I think it's almost more romantic if Anakin says, you know what, I know I'm a Jedi, I make this choice. I choose you. And Riley, that, I gotta that go never happens. Choose. Say what? Hmm. Oh, that was... <laughs> did we lose the internet? Or are you still with me, Nathan? It, it went all crackly. It was like I can hear... Huh. Weird. Hmm. So, yeah, that, that, was, my, that was my long... So which of these three beasts would you rather be attacked by? That one. (laughs) The the small bug. The bug guard. I'll take that one. Oh, goodness. Okay. We'll pick up the the love conversation again in a moment, but... Um, I, I think that really that's a, that's in been the theme of this commentary, Bethany. But that's really I think uh, such a fascinating subject when it comes to the way we think about the way we think about Star Wars in this movie um, because it's such a primary part of it. When I mean, we watched the first hour and twenty minutes, much of it is setting up the romance between Anakin and Padme, and, yeah. and how it and, and we've talked about how it does and doesn't work. But I think it comes down to that particular factor, choice. And like I said, I, I never really see Anakin make that choice where he says, you know what, Padme, um, I know I'm a Jedi, but I, I kind of like you. Kind of cute. No. He, he, where he may, And he says, you know what, I choose to leave my destiny as a Jedi behind. I, cho- I choose to leave that, that behind, and I choose to marry you. So there's this limbo that's created in the rest of the whole series where it's just nothing but yeah. limbo of... He's trying to be a Jedi, and he's trying to be a good husband, and he's trying to be, you know, and that that's where I think that choice factor is missing. Nathan, you were cut off. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if you look at some of the stuff that Lucas has said in some of his interviews, and when he did the talk with Bill Moyers for what became Star Wars and Philosophy, I think was the name of the, uh, the television special, he talks a lot about the idea of of choice. You mentioned how choice in a sense is sort of downgraded in society now where we, we sort of deal with things like fate and whatnot. I would say that uh, consequence is downgraded. You know, everything is okay. Everything has some way we can make it understandable. That wasn't your fault. It was your upbringing. It wasn't your fault. Your, your parents fed you too much salt when you were two years old. Therefore, <laughs> you didn't mean to kill those people. It was the salt factor. Um, Lucas makes a point of talking about how as society has become more accepting and we have less emphasis on choice and consequences, he wanted to make films that push the idea of choice and consequences. And in the case of yeah. Star Wars with Revenge of the Sith, he makes that choice very clear. But he yeah. mentions also in some of the interviews how this is a choice. They make a choice to choose love over duty. So whether they say it's a choice or not, you know, he at least in his and, mind, well, the way he tells kind of, the story me, is assuming it's a choice. I'll, I'll jump in, Nathan, because you kind of enlightened me there. Because I think that's where they did make that choice. And and as I was saying during the Skype call drop, you know, they kind of have this limbo of living two worlds where they're just stuck stuck in the middle with you, to quote Bob Dylan. They just it, it's it's a poor choice because they they simply can't live both lives long term. It's gonna collapse, and it does in episode three. And those are the consequences. And you know what? Lucas does have a very good uh, philosophy when it comes to showing the consequences of choice. 
Yeah. You know, one thing I always wondered about this scene to kind of shift directions here is how yes, they had yes. two lightsabers ready for Obi-Wan and Anakin, but how did they know that Anakin would be there? Because they told Anakin to stay put and guard Padme. And because I just they're figured, Jedi and they know everything. Well, I just figured that there's multiple Jedi with two lightsabers that you see in the background, and so uh, okay. two of them just decided to share, you know. Yeah, oh, but, well, uh, that makes I sense. I just want to say, I just want to say, best scene in the movie. Love this scene. Favorite scene. I love Jedi. Love action. It's I awesome. Love this lightsabers. Scene too. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, I'm, I'm geeking out just a bit here. <laughs> boom. No, yes. I, I love this scene when all the Jedi just pop out and all the lightsabers turn on, and all there's all yes. this blue and this green everywhere, and then Army you see me doing my purple. Yes. <laughs> and then nobody the was checking Jedi tickets at the door. They didn't realize all the Jedi were in the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> they check me for cameras every time I walk into a venue. Well, it's because they're bugs and they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll very poor security. This. They need to get the TSA people in there. Oh, wait. We <laughs> oh, there goes oh. Connor. We, we've uh, got oh, a... No, don't do it. Oh, oh. oh. And Django's cool. And he, he flips his pistol <laughs> like a cowboy. You know, yes, he is cool. It's because Django is a cowboy. He's, he's you know, he's whatever that right where He's a rebel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, wait, I, coming I up, like we got the bouncing head, right? The, the the falling helmet and the head that goes, whoop, it's like a blink and you'll miss it, but you can see the shadow. The wait head for it, bounces wait for out it. of the helmet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this looks so painful. Yeah, ow, I know. Ow, Trampled by a ow, reek. Ow, ow, ooh, ow, ooh. It's, it's I like okay, to call CGI. him the giant rhino. Yeah, the, that, that works. He's like, whew, if I hadn't worn that jetpack, I'd be crushed. Ceratops thing. I, I, I can only kind of think, whew, if I can't, hadn't worn that jetpack, I'd be crushed and dead. I'm glad I wore that jetpack. Oh, wait. <laughs> Drat. <laughs> yes. Nope. Oh, 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 again. Oh. Wait. No. Wait for it. Oh. There it is. No. Oh. Cool. And there goes the body. Yeah, Years gonna... of therapy for Boba now, or he can just become a bounty hunter. <laughs> oh, yeah. and then, and then the shadow of the head. slightly cares about Boba Fett for two seconds. Die, I never noticed that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Dooku's reaction was more of a... Oh great! There goes one of the better fighters. Um, you know they say they take Duke or they take Django's head because George didn't want what happened to Boba to happen to Django, wherein he didn't die in the Sarlacc pit. But I think Lucas forgot that the EU already gave us a Sith Lord who was just a floating head. Fisto. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Kit Fisto smiles right there. He's like, ha yes. yes. You know yes. your trap. I love and Kit Fisto. And that's why I love Kit Fisto. Yes. I saw them. I was just like, yes. And not to mention that, but I did get the action figure before I saw the movie, so I was looking for him to begin with. And then when I saw how cool he was, I was just like, oh, he's my favorite now. So. Have any of y'all been to Star Wars Weekends? Kit Fisto, oh. he never comes out. Ah. I wish I could go to Star Obi -Wan. Wars Weekends. Well, basically, yeah. at Star Wars Weekends, the Kit Fisto character rarely ever comes out, and they make fun of it all the time in the hyperspace hoopla. And so, because he comes out then, and it's Ow. a joke, but it's you know it's fun. This, <laughs> you go this scene is this is pretty. This brutal. scene is pretty awesome for people that like followed the Republic comics and stuff like that, because you get to see a lot of the background Jedi that are you know their stories are fleshed out in the the Dark Horse comics, like uh, you know Kyadi Mundi or Agent Kolar, Sora Bulk. So it's oh, kind of cool to see Swan them in got, um, My favorite Swan line. Got purged. This is such a drag. Sorry. My favorite line. Oh god. This is such a drag. I, I, think, I, think I will say though, this scene has has my favorite my favorite Obi Wan moment, and the preceding scene has one of his two best deliveries. The the, the best moment for Obi Wan to me, ha at least 
outside of you know the obvious stuff has to be when he stabs straight down and kills the Ackley. Yeah. You know, just the look of just the look of sheer almost thorness that he has of the boom. You know, he's finally taking it yeah. down. But it, his delivery of good job and his deliver it, it's almost on par with his delivery of Traita, right when he first sees Dooku. Those two short, but they're like the perfect moments where I can almost hear Alec Guinness coming out of you and McGregor's yeah. mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love you and McGregor. Yeah, he's on Twitter now, by the way. He did a good job of blending young Obi-Wan to old Obi-Wan by episode three. Well, you know, I mean, the thing I find impressive about him is that he studied, you know? I mean, he wanted to make it, you know, true to the films, and that's that makes me feel good. Well, when your uncle is Wedge Antilles. There's definitely scenes where your lives will be special. There's definitely scenes where he's doing almost a straight imitation of Alec Guinness. Ayla Secura. Then we will not be hostages not, to be bartered with, Dooku. I can't. Oh. Now, can I? We talking about voices here. Can I ask a question? Is there anybody who has trouble watching episode, especially well, all the prequels, but especially episode two and three now, because the characters don't sound like they do in the Clone Wars, and you're now so used to the Clone Wars voices that it feels with weird. Anakin. Yes. yes. <laughs> Anakin, especially yes. For, for me. Yes. And Terrence Carson, T.C. Carson, uh, Kratos from God of War as Mace Windu. That's who I hear, not Samuel L. Jackson anymore. Yeah, although I'm kind of back in the Sam Jackson mood because of Avengers, but... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but we spent so much time with the characters, you know, as who they are in the Clone Wars, you know, and so those actors are now our characters, you know, because, like, James Arnold Taylor has played Obi-Wan Kenobi longer than anybody else played Obi-Wan Kenobi. By the way, just side note... Worst lo- Yoda line in the entire history of Star Wars is around the around survivors. survivors <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh no, I love that line. I was like, yeah, the clones, time to shine. Bring them lardies in, fast and furious. Yes. I always wonder what the clones thought of this because it's like their first real mission and their first high exposure to real battle with real Jedi. I don't know. Well, we like, I thought you were like going to say that it's their first experience just... with uh, Yoda speak. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. You what know... is this crazy little green guy saying, man? Let's just do what Sarana told us That's to do. That's not good. Can you imagine Yoda trying to do the phonetic alphabet? <laughs> oh, sad scene. Well. Yeah. Wow, these shots, these are just, these are when I just miss the cl- miss the films when I watch the Clone Wars, or just some of these shots that they have mm-hmm. all that money investment to, the sweeping wide, like, now, yeah. oh. Although I gotta Are say, you? seeing um, Landing at Point Rain, one of the times yes. where the Clone Wars cartoon series really hit home with me that this is Star Wars was how well, because there's so much CG obviously in this battle scene, how well it blends Clone Wars cartoon series, st- how, how Clone Wars cartoon series sort of grabs elements of this style and makes it its own. You know, it's that really <laughs> yeah. to me was one of the first times that anything in the Clone Wars really did that. Not not even the characterizations, not the action sequences and some of those let's reuse the lines from the films things, but landing at point range, seeing Geonosis again. Yeah, that yeah. that that's true. And there are moments that really just do that. I think uh, well the end of season 1 even where they had the Ryloth arc um yeah. did that did that for yeah. me. Uh, I did think it was amazing that we see the the Death Star plans there. Uh, yeah. Oh, really amazing and yet me. freaking horrific from a continuity standpoint. I remember <laughs> almost yelling in the theater, "No!" when I saw. I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, where were the? What was the Death Star construction before the film? Oh boy. Not mangled. 
Uh, <laughs> it, it was um, it was Bevel Limalisk, and it was the project that was taking place at the mall where the prototype wound up being left. I mean, they 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 had laid out a lot of backstory, and there were times where there were contradictions, like you know, where was the super laser? When was it developed? What was the hammer tong in Tales from the Most Isolated Cantina? And then this comes in, and it's like. Ta-da! By the way, all that backstory you already had, yeah, not so much. And that's what the Death Star book was supposed to sort out, but really didn't. It only spent like two pages actually going into any of trying to sort that out at all and just kind of left it hanging. Yeah. Now, I do have a question. With a war coming, why do you think, any of you, why do you think that the Jedi risked so much to rescue Obi-Wan. I mean, I, I get he's one of their order, and he's Obi-Wan. Everyone loves him. But to cut down the Jedi's numbers so much no. over the course of a battle. Well, it wasn't about Obi-Wan. I fear, than has been revealed. You know, Yoda says it right there. You know, there's more happening, and we have to figure out what it is. Because yeah. um, Obi-Wan's already said, you know, the Separatists are here. Uh, you know, this is what's going on, you know. Yeah. Well, and what we're witnessing so on screen. That's why. And so they're going to try and stop the war before it ends, but they escape and we're left yeah. with a three-year-long war. So. And, and what yeah. we're witnessing on screen was that they just, like, took out two or three, you know, uh, separatist huge ships. So, yeah. I mean, they got a little bit more than Obi-Wan because it is the headquarters of the droid factory. True. I guess their hope was to do an, an all-out, full-on, aggressive assault to try and wipe all of the separatists out before the war begins. I, well, I guess it was, it's like what it's what the American military calls shock and awe, and Hitler called Blitzkrieg. You know, it's that yeah. hit them hard, hit them fast, and hit them hard enough that hopefully they don't still have enough left standing that it becomes a bigger conflict. You know, you, you nip it in the bud. But unfortunately, yeah. Sidious saw it all well, see, coming. You know, jump, jump to modern times. It's like modern warfare in, in the United States is 2004, 5, 6, somewhere in there when we had the surge in northern Iraq where we literally took, you know, five C C-17 aircraft that each carry like an entire army brigade and parachute them in. Uh, where you just parachute in thousands of troops that set up the temporary bases and try to just crush the the enemy. Now, granted, that didn't really work in Iraq, uh, or at least at the time. It, was, it didn't accomplish that particular mission because that conflict dragged on more than they were hoping at the time. But, it, I'm, but that's the tactic, and, and in theory should work. And I think it, it, it should have worked here, but obviously didn't because they're still fighting, you know, years and years later. And Obi-Wan even says it, you know, if we can catch Dooku, we can end this war right now! And yet, yeah. they don't. Nope. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the way, we haven't really talked about Dooku very much, but I love Christopher Lee as Count Dooku. Uh, and oh, yeah. he's such an interesting character to me, because, you know, he, you know, if you read his, some of his backstory, he goes and he, he leaves the Order and starts, you know, and becomes a Sith and starts the Separatists, you know, with Basidious because he believes it's right, because he believes Rupp Republic is corrupt, and so to see a Jedi go from you know from being a Jedi to turning like that because he believes it's what's right is really kind of interesting. Um, not to mention he's got an awesome uh, lightsaber. Um, I love his hilt; it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> I still think it's crazy. Chris really can still act considering he's like a hundred. He's in the Hobbit this this December. I yeah. know. Yes, which makes more of my yes. point. He is freaking old. I, He's, uh, I think he's turning 90 this year or something like that. It's either 90 yeah. or 91. It's yeah. I think ridiculous. He's, still, he's just infused with that much awesomeness that he just keeps going. <laughs> yes. Play on, play on, play on. Shoot him down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
You know, the one and, thing and I love about his happen. character, though, you know, you know, Jason, you mentioned the lightsaber hilt. I love the fact that he was the swords master. You know, he was yes. one of the few out there that had, that attained that rank. And you see it when he and Obi-Wan and Anakin and later even Yoda start fighting. The, the styling, the way he holds himself, the way he holds the lightsaber. And I love that, you know, that's one thing true to his character. Doesn't matter what format it is, his styling is always that classic duelist. Yes. Yes, and that's something that they've gotten uh, done very well in the Clone Wars, especially uh, in the past couple seasons when he's actually, you know, gotten the opportunity to, to whip his saber out. It's, you know, it's... Showcase. He's, yes, exactly. And he, especially in the Night Sisters trilogy there, he really was able to just showcase his vast ability of, of a swordsman, uh, yeah. you know, I, multiple opponents... Just from uh, an acting, just from an acting Sorry. standpoint, you think about the uh, the Clone Wars movie that he stepped in and did the voice for Dooku, and it doesn't yeah. sound any different. And I'm, he was getting much uh, up there in age at that point, and, and I think it's a testament to him that that it, it blended blended in with the voice actor doing uh, his double. I believe it's Corey Burton who Corey does. Burton. Yes, Corey Burton yeah. does an amazing job. With, I would love with to everything. He's like <laughs> yes. Now, Really quick, I want to comment. Anakin just gets the lecture from Obi-Wan about reel in your emotions, you're going to get expelled for the order. And as that scene ends, we go to a cameo of Yoda kind of looking disappointed. Do you guys think that, that what happened in the scene right before that affected Yoda and that Yoda has a sense of knowing? I think so. I, yes. I think Yoda, Yoda knew what was happening. And if I may point out, there's the basic difference between Anakin and Padme. She would do her duty without having to be yelled at and told to stop panicking and, you know, pull it together. Yeah. Well, I think that's, yeah, but, her, but she's maturi- a I think that's her maturity. Her maturity, yeah. she's at a different mm-hmm. level. She's a, she's a tough girl, though, too. I mean, she can fall, apparently, from a gunship. Instead of going splat, she just rolls with it, and she's okay. She can go off and <laughs> run off and fight. Well, that's uh, exactly how I would... Well, you take this, though, I mean, going back to the whole, you know, you'd be expelled from the Jedi Order. To me, that's yet another one of these scenes that has so much more resonance thanks to the Clone Wars, because now, not only in the EU do we have Siri, but now we have Satine as a woman from Obi-Wan's past, where Obi-Wan, I mean, he made the choice to stay with the Order. Granted, he tells Satine in the Mandalorian trilogy, you know, that if she would have asked, he would have left the Jedi Order for her. But apparently she never got to that point and asked, so he stayed with the Order. He's, He's sort of... You, know, you can see where there's these these prominent choices, and it's almost like he's saying it, you know, looking back on it now, not necessarily when they were writing the script, but he's looking at it from the personal experience, you know, what he's gone through. Uh-huh. Well, and it's good to see that there's other Jedi that have gone through the same similar thing, but they didn't fall to bits. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's, it's the maturity level. And, and then you understand that Obi-Wan actually might have an understanding of what Anakin's Go, is going through, and if only Anakin had confided in him instead of Yoda at that point, and that really I think tells you something about his character. Where Anakin at that point too much distrust is there in Episode Three at that time. Right. To, to and of course, we also time. we also have that thing in Star Wars Tales. I forget the name of the story off the top of my head, but they had a story set in the Tales of the Jedi era, which focused on the idea of you know what do you do if you take attachments out of personal relationships? And they had a Jedi who was essentially going around just having sex with as many women as he wanted to, and as long as he had no emotional attachments, he was fine. He was okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of different ways you could, oh, you could go goodness. with the whole yeah. where attachment could go, where the emotional connections are. But certainly Obi-Wan's got more experience than we were led to believe. It almost felt like yeah. it, he was someone, you know, how can you teach 
Anakin about attachments if you've never been in that situation before. Now it feels like it makes sense for him to be the teacher. It, like We never yes. got a sense of Obi-Wan's experience in episode one, not really. And in episode two, we get a little bit, but there, there's nothing backing that up, really. Now, with the Clone Wars, we're finally getting to see it. They've got time to put True. it on screen. I, I love the red and blue lighting in this I was scene. about to say oh, that. Yes. I, I wanted to mention before we got to that part, though, how seeing Anakin with a green lightsaber tickled me. You know, he's always had either blue or red. So that one little moment there in episode two is the one time we see him with the Luke Skywalker green. Yeah. And now he's been <laughs> disarmed. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Oh, How many people saw this in theaters and this scene where Yoda walks in, everyone went nuts? I did. Yes. Oh, yes. God, I now, I had the pleasure of doing that at Celebration, and they sure did, yeah. And then they went nuts again when he ignited his saber. I was just like, wow, this is yes. cool. Yes, yes, it was. You have to watch this while Yoda just grabs the, the whatever that is and just like, get out of here. Waste of time. <laughs> Don't you mm -hmm. put that thing on me! <laughs> oh, what thing? This this is an exercise of the funnest power you can use on the Force Unleashed on the Wii. Ooh, yes. Little... <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like to pull the trigger, turn it upside down, like you're giving a thumbs down, and crack somebody's neck thing. But maybe that's just the sadist in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're revealing too much about yourself, Nathan. Yeah. Well, speaking of the motion control stuff, one of the things you know we're seeing the first appearance here of all these Clone Wars vehicles and starships and everything um, that connect Star Wars. Recently, you would think they would know better. Has had its own little issue where we've got all these vehicles showing up before Attack of the Clones when they shouldn't have been available to the Republic at that point. I've actually asked Leland Chi about that, and all he's basically said is, well, you know, it's set closer to Attack of the Clones than you were, you were originally led to believe. So it doesn't matter. If it's before Attack of the Clones, why do they have the freaking ships? The army doesn't exist yet, technically. <laughs> I don't know. I just play that game. I play that game to dance. Yeah, the dancing is fun, but I won't admit that publicly. Oh, crap, wait. <laughs> you know what? I think this, uh, this song is best lent to if I could have everyone silence for just a minute. Uh, this this song is best lent. Excuse me. This scene is best lent with this music. White Anglo-Saxons everywhere. A black Russians, no pink lady. Oh, Singapore. Like, I think it works. And Moscow mule is not your baby. I don't know. Maybe Flight of the Bumblebee. Oh, definitely Flight of the Bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, All right, I gotta stop. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can just see Yoda. Yeah. I like I like being able to see Yoda's little pants. <laughs> little too much information. Well, that's, you know, that's another a lot of people lines liked here. when Yoda mentioned my old Padawan. You know, which which turned out to nuts. be crap, though. Because remember, they changed that. Like the EU goes, uh, like they said, okay, old Padawan. Everyone's like, awesome. So like, do you, you had Yoda and then Dooku and then Qui Gon and Obi Wan and Anakin. It's like this unbroken line, and then the EU goes. Uh-uh, Thane Cerulean, and throws it and says, nah, he's, it's not really that he used to be Yoda's Padawan. Yoda just could call anyone a Padawan because they all trained with him when he when they were kids. You know, it's, yeah. It set up such a great thing in the theater where everybody's like, yes! And then you get home and start reading the books, and you're like, oh, never mind. Yeah, well, yeah, that what, one's nice cool because we can't learn about Yoda's past. And on, one, one thing I like about Yoda is that he is a teacher. He's a negotiator and he's a decision maker. I mean, he's one of the most powerful Jedi, if not the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy. And yet he takes time to teach the children. And I think that really shows the Jedi Order in the light 
that it's supposed to be. It's a benevolent order that really tries to do a lot of good. Yeah, teachers rule. Teachers rule. <clears throat> yeah, they do. Hey, yeah, do, exactly. you guys, do you guys think there's something significant about how they placed Anakin um, laying on top of Obi-Wan's feet in that it, scene? It, I don't know. I don't know. Because I, it's it, like they they don't necessarily have to be next to each other, but for some reason, you know, Anakin is laying on his master, you know. Well, I kind of saw it as a, a, you know, he was trying to defend his master, and that yeah. was, you know, kind of the, the classic yeah. pose where they both fell. You know, he literally is on top of his master defending him. Yeah. And, and, then, and, then they, Sorry. and then they get... Then they have the opportunity to put them both in peril at the same time when Dooku drops the thing on them. So it's probably yeah. just more of a mm-hmm. plot device. Yeah, I, I did the- think it. I did think it was good. They show that Anakin definitely still has that good side. Is still the dominant side in him. You know, he raced to protect his master and fell arm well, one armed, to his master's feet, trying to defend him. The Force is with us, Master Sidious. Welcome home, Lord Tyrannus. You have done well. When people finally Our- realize Tyrannus and Dooku, they're the same guy. It's that whole the Palpatine Sidious type thing. They never yeah. explicitly enough in the films themselves make that tie. There's a lot of I mean, younger audiences and newer fans that disconnect a lot of times happens. And the same thing happened here right after Attack of the Clones. You got people who were newer popping up on the official site message board for the first time asking, wait, so Sidious is Palpatine and Dooku is Tyrannus? Because it's just not clear enough. You get one line here for City or for Dooku. Yeah. Well, and in the EU, the only one that ever knew the secret was Boba Fett. And by the time he takes it to the Chancellor, he gets paid off. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Join the dark side. Dooku has. Dooku has. I like how he says says it like a cuss. Yeah. It's the only time anybody ever says it that way in the movies. And he even says, does he say Dooku's name earlier? I don't remember. I, I, yeah, I, think, I think he does. I think he, he refers to him as Count Dooku earlier. Yeah, Count Dooku. Yes. Whenever they're yes. about to, to fight. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. And and yet here he says Dooku. I, I don't know. I, it's I find gotta be Leia, Leia. He's thinking back to the fight he just had. It's Han. It's Han. <laughs> All right, I'm going to break it up because i got to hear this. Victory. Here we go. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. I like how Darth Plagueis kind of plays up on that when we learn about how the Shroud, you know, they, they burst a bubble in the light side of the Force and it was kind of hanging over him and now it's like it's fallen down like a Shroud. And Jimmy yeah. Smith gets one of the most emotional moments of the entire film right here without saying a word, where he yeah. sees the ships lifting off and he just has that little, like, fifth stump onto the railing, like, I can't believe this is happening, you know? Yeah. 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 A galaxy at war. Never would have thought of this as patriotic music until this. <laughs> so awesome. It is. It's such incredible imagery here. Uh, that's one of the things that Star Wars has, is just incredible imagery. And there's the emotion. Yeah. And now here we get the wedding. Oh, how sweet. Oh. <laughs> The only so witnesses. Who was the, the, the bridesmaid? That's what I want to know. 
3PO. <laughs> 3PO, definitely. <laughs> Bitch, R- R2's, R2's the best man, okay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and enter Poor the song that I'm walking down the aisle to. Yes. This, Did you just see R2 popping off his head dome and all of a sudden a little ring shoots out over to Anakin? <laughs> I kind of wish I could afford that for my wedding, like to have a little R2 up there. That'd be freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. That would be cool. And I, I am... that, that once our wedding is over as we're leaving, like, like the, we now present to you, Mr. and Mrs. Butler, um, have the, the Yavin 4 celebration theme. Yeah playing as, yeah. we're, as we're leaving. I'm not sure I could get away with it for the, the walking down the aisle thing, though. Although, maybe. Oh, we're gonna, we're I'm using the, it. we're using the main theme right after we're pronounced husband and wife. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah, wow. Cool. I'll tell you what, it's a pretty cool movie. I, I agree. Yeah. It's yeah. true. This is true. And everybody was like, yes, and waiting. And when I got home, this is when Chrono Radio started. This is me getting excited, going home, going, I'm gonna take a nap, I'm gonna sleep a little bit, and then I'm gonna start You know, I would just say, like every Star Wars film, it's got its goods, it's got its bads, and overall it's winning. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) winning. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, we've got some end credits to talk over, but I'll tell you what, it's it's coming to a close. It's been so fun, guys, I'll tell you that right now. I've had a fantastic time. And gained a lot of new insights into the film. Yeah. I feel like I want to watch it again now. But I'll tell you what. I, do, I know, do we want to do a favorite scenes thing all around? You know, I would love Yeah, let's do some closing thoughts and favorite scenes. Mine, wow, it may have just changed to that end shot of Jimmy Smith's and, and the, the ships taking off. The same way of, of similar significance as the clone army when it's first shown off to Obi-Wan on Kamino. We, we, we kind of weren't able to highlight it when it happened. But that, oh my goodness, that, those are both fantastic scenes that show the significance of what's about to happen in the, in, in, the, in the galaxy and really shows a thing that we've talked about a lot, consequence. You know, choices are being made on a galactic scale. Yeah, overall, fantastic film. Especially that last act. Yes. Uh, Bethany? Uh, I'm going to save my... I'm still... I'm thinking are you, are you here. Think, yes. You know what's going to happen is everybody's going to steal your thoughts, but okay. <laughs> let's, go, let's go to uh, Pete Morrison. Uh, I have to say my favorite scene is on Geonosis when Obi-Wan is captured by Dooku. And Dooku does the classic Sith thing where he reveals a little bit of the truth mixed in with his lies when he tries to tempt Obi-Wan to join him. Telling Ooh, him that a Sith scene. is in control of the Senate. Such a great scene. And then I also love the there's a little part at the end of the battle when uh, Padme runs into the hangar after Dooku and Yoda battle and jumps right into Anakin's arms and plants a kiss on him as Yoda's right in front of him. I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> most oblivious Jedi Master ever. Yes. <laughs> Oh. It's okay though, as long as there's no attachment, they can do whatever they want according to Tails. Let's go. <laughs> let's jump. I'm just gonna kind of jump around as we go. Teresa. Uh, my favorite scene is still um, when Yoda battles Dooku. Mm-hmm. Good it's one. Freaking awesome. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, let's jump over to Mark Hurleman. My favorite two scenes is Obi-Wan versus Jango from the fist fight all the way through the space battle. I absolutely love those scenes. The way it played out when they were talking on Kamino. I'm just a simple farmer or a simple 
bounty hunter trying to make my way. And you're just like, oh, the heck you are. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way it played out and the way Obi-Wan was managed to, you know, just stay just a smidgen ahead. You're kind of like, Obi-Wan, what's going on here? But it was a testament to Jango Fett and his skills as well. And you got yeah. to see Boba be a little child jerk that wants to shoot somebody in the back with a big spaceship. <laughs> but my absolute favorite scene is the Dooku saber fight. I'm like Teresa in that regard. But I, I don't just say Yoda and Dooku. I count that from the moment we'll take them together. No, Anakin! And they both go in and, and you just, oh man, the way it all plays out and the fact that Dooku himself fights three Jedi and one of them is the Grand Master of the Order and walks away? Whew! That's yeah. I'd use the, I'd use the term run, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, great choices, great choices. Let's jump over to Jason Hunt. Oh, goodness. I, I'm going to have to tag along here. The, the Dooku duel and the arena battle is just two of my favorite, absolute favorite scenes in all of Star Wars because it's just so awesome to watch. Um, Kit Fisto, I didn't get to really mention it, is one of my favorite Jedi. Uh, maybe I did mention, I don't remember. But favorite <laughs> Jedi, awesomeness. Uh, I just love it. And I'm going to have to agree with Mark as far as a dialogue scene. Uh, the scene with, between Django and Obi-Wan in the apartment is awesome. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, he, so polite, yet everyone knows. Everybody in the room, except maybe Tanwi, knows what's going on. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poor oblivious Tanwi. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Goins, upon another viewing, what are your thoughts uh, of, of Attack of the Clones, a favorite scene? Um, I would say my favorite scene, I love Mace Windu. So my favorite scene would be Mace versus Django in the arena. Oh, Seeing that, Mace that Windu nice. come off the balcony with his cape on fire and tossing it off and taking off Django's head. That whole sequence just is one of my favorite scenes. I love the novel Shatterpoint, you know, so I, I really like Mace Windu and like to see him in action there. Yeah, good choice, good choice. Uh, Nathan, I'm going to let you pick a favorite scene and round us up, uh, round us out with uh, your your favorite. Uh, All right, uh, and, and, well, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to agree on one with Riley here uh, on the, the very end where the music builds and the ships are launching and you see the regret on uh, Jimmy Smith's face as Bail Organa and the fact yeah. that the music that we think of as evil becomes something that is more of a patriotic march to war rather than being something that's supposed to make us think evil and Sith. It, it blends those two together very well. Uh, the other scene is one that usually I, I don't think would make a lot of people's favorite scenes, but I like Shmi's funeral. Because you've got the, the emotional kick of what Klee Glars says about, you know, goodbye, my darling wife. And that really kind of hit me um, to a degree. But also, you know, that's where Anakin makes his pledge that sets everything in motion for episode three. You know, how he will never be weak enough to allow anyone else to die without him being able to save them. It, a lot of yeah. people play it up as if somehow that's something that he just decides when it comes to Padme. I can't lose her. You no, know, he makes a pledge here. No one close to him will ever die in that way. And to me, you know, him on his knees, digging in the sand with his hands, like absentmindedly, like, like just not anything else to do. Um, it works. I miss you so much where he says it with the restrained emotion on his face. Some people say it's overacting. I think he nailed it. So Shmi's funeral, odd as it may be. Mm -hmm. really I guess point. with my, my view of this movie is a part of a whole. This movie sets up and foreshadows so many things that come in this mm -hmm. galaxy. Uh, when you see the, the look of terrible tragedy that turns into raw hatred for Anakin at Shmi's death... The funeral scene like Nathan said or the scene of uh, where you can see Bail Organa's regret that actually that closing shot may be my favorite scene in the movie as well um, but to see 
what's going to happen to see Anakin start to go down that dark path that inevitably uh, contributes to the near ruin of a galaxy. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, cool yeah. stuff. Hey, 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 by the way, everybody, you stuck around for this, this, this much time. We thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Star Wars Report, a video edition. It's recording. Hey. I'm looking at it right now. It's actually still hey, recording. Yeah. Did you see this thing at the end of the credits? If you experience any condition that detracted from the theatrical presentation of this film, please call 1-800-PHONE-THX. There what? Is, there are these what is this? Never, I've never seen that before. Really? I now. have, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's this yeah. jerk Wait, in the front let's row. Let's just ask Phantom to lash out. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the point. But yeah, that's going to round out this episode, this video episode of the Star Wars Report. We thank you for tuning in. Um, uh, you can contact us. Uh, send us an email with your thoughts of Attack of the Clones. Star Wars Report at gmail.com. We'll round out everybody, give each other's uh, contact information. And I want to go ahead and just personally thank the whole panel for you guys bearing with us through some technical difficulties at the beginning and, and sitting through the whole film. Um, I certainly gained a lot of new appreciation for it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And we're going to have to do some more of these throughout the year. I think we may have to do a Clone yes. Wars movie one, maybe in, at, at its uh, you know, fourth anniversary. <laughs> this summer. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be cool. Why yes. is she wearing those clothes when she's 14? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're looking forward to that one, Nathan. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's let we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 uh make some plans there. And like I say, you can find every, anything we've ever done at starwarsreport.com. We'll be releasing this video hopefully in the iTunes feed. If it's too large, we may split it up. Same thing goes for Facebook. We may be able to release some excerpts on Facebook. Mm -hmm. as well, depending on whether their video upload service works. But that's going to wrap up this particular episode. Extended special edition. Re-release. New special effects version of the Star Wars report. <laughs> that's uh, that, that, going to take us out. And remember, what's the saying, Bethany? Many boffins died to bring you this podcast. That's that guy from Tag and Bink, right? Manny Bothans? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>